February 28th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said. Got to roll through this one because I uh, want to get this out quick so you can listen to some of the Friday Sam Houston stuff and then the Saturday uh, all over Gulfstream and Sam Houston. A couple interviews, one with Dan, Keeneland Dan Cronin. We talk uh, college basketball and we talk some UCLA, USC, Pac-12, some of the teams that are on the bubble. And then we talk with the Pick 6 King, John Stetton, a little kind of um, state of the the union for horse racing, kind of everything going on. And then we break down Gulfstream Park races 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 on that Fountain of Youth card. And we spend a little time on the Fountain of Youth. So hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get into those uh, interviews, I have to get something off my chest, though. I have to vent a little bit. So I had an, a really good day of handicapping on Wednesday at Sam Houston. If you were playing along, we did very well. Unfortunately, we could have done a whole lot better. I gave out, as on the Sam Houston segment, a pick five ticket that was a winning pick five ticket, and there were zero winning pick five tickets. What ended up happening is I myself screwed up when I was betting. Uh, I was kind of just doing a few different things, and so I put together the ticket real quick kind of off of memory, and of course I left out one horse in the third leg of the sequence, which was race number eight. And in race number six, which was the first leg of the pick five sequence, my top selection ends up winning the race and pays $48. That is Destiny Awaits. That was one of the horses that I actually tweeted out. Uh, pays 48 bucks. And so then I go back and I look at, at my ticket because I'm like, oh, wow, holy crap, I got this, this $48 winner right away. Like I want, I'm Just to confirm, let me make sure who I have the rest of the way through. And I noticed immediately that I left the one horse out who ended up being the six in race number eight. So I went back and I played a pick four in race number seven using all the rest of the horses that I should have used on the pick five all the way through. Sure enough, uh, in race seven, the two headlining wins at four to one who I had in race number eight. That was the race that I made the mistake. I had one, five, six. It came in six, five, one. Uh, I only had one and five on the ticket that I bet myself, but the six wins at 14 to one. And, uh, and then in race number nine, my top selection blushing kitten wins at 15 to one. And in race number 10, uh, I ended up hitting a pick four that paid 6,500 bucks. And if you would have just played the numbers that I gave you, uh, in the pick four, you would have hit. If you'd have played the numbers in the pick five, I gave you, you would have hit. You would have been the only person that hit. The pick five pool was twenty five thousand dollars, and there is a pick five carryover. You're welcome, because if I bet that pick five, there's no carryover. So anybody that's playing the pick five carryover at Sam Houston, that's because of me, because of the uh, the idiosity of me. Although it was one of those things where I'm tr- I try not to be too hard on myself for it because. When you bet as many races as you bet as we do, some of us do, and as many different tracks and as many different wagers, you're going to make mistakes here and there. It's just like anything, right? Like you could be a 95% free throw shooter and you're going to miss a free throw sometimes. It's it's not the mistake, it's kind of how do you respond from that? I was able to catch the mistake early on, play a pick 4 and still salvage that. Could you imagine if I didn't play the pick 5 or if I did play the pick 5, didn't notice my mistake and then the only and that was the only miss I had there? Because the pick five, the four out of fives paid back. Awesome. Still, because nobody hit the pool. So pick fives, like four correct, is paying $800. They're just unfortunate. 
there that uh, it was just a bonehead move by me. You know, you, you make a mistake. But I was able to come back and capitalize and able to get that pick four, hit the pick four. I had a couple other pick threes throughout the day. And if you noticed, a lot of the horses that we gave out to were winning. Race number one, Quinn Ella was our top pick one and uh, paid $11. Race number three, our top selection, Bob's Bad Boy won, paid sixteen sixty. Race number four. Five or no, it wasn't the fifth. It was the sixth where we mentioned Destiny Awaits. Top selection wins, pays forty-eight dollars and forty cents. In race number nine, our top selection wins, pays fifty, uh, pays thirty-three dollars, a fifteen-to-one shot. So this was one of the the best handicapping days of my life. I I made some money. I wish the gambling would have been a little bit better, but it's nice is that we were able to still make some money. I won't be greedy and plenty uh plenty of ammo now and can take care of a few things and. Plenty left to play over for some of these uh, these big weekend wagers. So, yeah, that, that was a frustrating one. And I know it's going to happen now. Everyone's going to come back and play all the, the Sam Houston picks today and tomorrow, Friday and Saturday, and they're all going to be just terrible. But you know what? We're going to make some money. I'm starting to feel good now. I'm starting to feel good. So, first up, let's get into our interview with Keeneland Dan. We're going to hear from one of our, our sponsors. And then following that, it's going to be. Keeneland Dan talking some college basketball And then we get into uh, The US horses that are running in Saudi Arabia in the big race And then we talk, uh, he gives a couple of thoughts At Gulfstream Park, so kick back and enjoy This discussion with Keeneland Dan Cronin One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com. Or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. 
Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Coming off a very good night for the two local L.A. Pac-12 teams we have to bring back on. Keeneland, Dan, Dan Cronin, brother of Mick Cronin, the head coach of UCLA basketball. I'm a a big USC fan, and it it was a great, great night for both USC and UCLA. We welcome Dan in. Dan, what's crazy for you is your uh, your schedule has changed a little bit. Now you got to stay. O'clock to watch eight o'clock Pacific time to watch these games. This the start of these UCLA games. You, you're not getting a whole lot of sleep now. And on a night like oh. last night, you probably didn't really need a lot because that was a hell of a win. Now six in a row for UCLA. Eight of ten, they win on a a, a game winning shot at the buzzer, a big three, and uh, you you have to be ecstatic. And I'm sure your brother is just pumped with the way this team is playing. Yeah, pumped is an understatement. I, I shocked <laughs> disbelief. Um, you know, I, I was out there in November and then again at the end of January and, you know, at the end of January, you could see some improvement, but you never, ever dreamed that they could put a run together like this. And it's all just making big shots, learning the personnel and then the seven or eight guys that are getting to play, they're all digging in and, you know, doing what they're supposed to do on defense. And, and I mean, every single one of them is doing exactly what they need to do. And, I mean, last night, I mean, Jake Kyman coming off the bench and catching fire like that. I mean, he's done it a couple times this year. So it's not like it's the first time. And it was like, as soon as he made that first one, you could see the other four guys say, uh-oh, here we go. Let's get him the ball. You know, and, there, and there's not many teams that'll do that kind of stuff. You know, they just go ahead and play and they don't even think about it. And, I mean, Arizona State is really, really good. I mean, they're they're hot. Just... They're like the hottest team in in the country, and they have a like they have a legitimate stud closer against the UCLA team that is really, really young. For you to pull out that yeah. game when it was closed down the stretch was just so, so impressive. That's the point I want to kind of harp on a little bit, Dan. You know, we're all kind of getting caught up in in how good this team is and how well they're playing right now. One thing that I just keep you know looking at. This is a really, really young team, and they're not a team that's going to be u- losing some of those young players to the NBA you know, next year, most likely. This is a team that seems like they're going to be very good even next year and the next couple of years moving forward. Well, their top eight players are all back. Uh, Chris, Chris Smith, who you saw some glimpses over the last month, you know, a couple people out in L.A. said, well, he might leave, and I said, well, he would be absolutely crazy to leave because – He's not even on any draft boards, but you can see the potential there. And if he has 30 more games under his belt at 20 years old, he's only going to be 20 years old as a senior. I mean, he'll be a a middle first round possible lottery pick if he comes back and they dominate next year, which if you got everybody back, you got the number one point guard in the country coming in. You got the other kid from California who's a really, you know, just mean, nasty defender that's going to be a really, really good player in Clark. Um, And then there's still, as you know, because USC may add one of them, there's three big-time guys still out there, all top 10 guys that that have not signed yet, that both schools are in on, that have a chance with, and you sign one of those guys, and then the the seal, there really is no ceiling. So, yeah, I'm excited for this year, but then I look at next year and think, oh, my. 
you know, this could this could really turn into something special. And and what's really neat is the first couple games out there, I, I kept looking around going, where is everybody? Why is there nobody here? And all I heard from everybody there was excuses. And I said, it sounds like when, when Mick took over at Cincinnati, all the excuses. Oh, well, it's L.A. There's so much to do. There's so much going on. The ticket prices are high. Our team hasn't been great. You know, those are all excuses. It, you you got to come. If you're a blue blood, you come. And all they needed was a little bit of excitement, get the team rolling a little bit, and boom, they all show up. I, I'm hearing the game's just about sold out for Saturday. And, you know, I'm sure the USC-UCLA game next week will be sold out, even though it's across town, because <laughs> everybody from both schools is going to want to come. So, you know, that, that'll be an exciting atmosphere, too. So hopefully both teams can keep winning and, and send these Arizona teams home 0-2 on Saturday. I think Hurley had said that was the best um, atmosphere he's seen at a UCLA game since Lonzo a couple years ago, you know, when when they were there with, with those teams. And th- that Bruin crowd was really pumped up late. That was that was the loudest I've seen them in a while. They were into the game. And what, what about la- last night's game, to me, what was really impressive a lot of the time, you know, UCLA was up and, and you know, they had the game in hand, you know, most yeah. of the game they were leading. And generally when like a like a more veteran team with a closer like Remy Martin comes back, it, usually that team ends up winning. And for yeah. UCLA to be able to, like, they went from up by six to down by four in like a matter of like a minute or two. And a lot of young teams right there, that's when you kind of wilt. And it's like, yeah. ah, you know what? Okay, Absolutely. this wasn't our night. And the fact that they were able to come back when they were still down two possessions, get to the free throw line a couple of times. I mean, Tiger Campbell, it was, he wasn't, his shooting night wasn't incredible, but the way he was like controlling the game, passing the ball around, I think he had like 14 assists, something like that. You're seeing these kids mature and grow. And this was a moment last night that was a, a moment that all those, UCLA fans and students in the audience that were there, they're going to come back now the next few times yeah. because of that game. Like that's the game and a moment that I think they needed to be able to kind of pull some of the fans back in and say, wow, you know what? Th- this team has got it. I- Dan, since we talked last, I think you've won four in a row. And we were talking al- at that point about how things were turning around and the team was playing really well. And we're not talking about wins against the bottom Dwellers of the Pac-12 We're talking about going on the road And beating Colorado and a very good Utah team who's good good at home They're really good at home That's a tough place to win at They kicked the crap out of USC You know, we saw And, and then UCLA, you know, beats They beat up Arizona at Arizona uh, You know, they They beat up, you know, they got, they got a win against ASU And what was nice And just kind of following you on social media And when we talked it was hard, you know, five weeks ago to project that UCLA could be a tournament team because you're look, you know, you're you're looking at their schedule, going, well, they're going to just have to win. But one point that you kept making is that it, it's sometimes it's a blessing in disguise when you have to play better teams because. So what? What? Yeah, what's crazy, Dan, is that you know, it, there's any of like four teams at the bottom um, of the. The last four in, first four out, um, first buys. And it seems like every year now, there are all these Pac-12 teams. There's always two or three Pac-12 teams. This year, there might be four of them. So what happens in these next two or three games is going to be really, really important. 
Yeah, and I think the biggest difference this year with the Pac-12, and I know we're a little bit more biased now that I'm part of it, um, in the last few years, when you looked at the RPI top seven leagues, the Pac-12 was always like fifth, sixth, or seventh. Well, this year, they're third in the RPI. So, and I know they don't look at individual teams' RPIs, but they do look at what conferences are the best, you know, the RPI top conferences versus you know, like the ACC is way down this year um, in the RPI as far as, you know, league. And I think that affects seeding. I think it affects how many teams. And, you know, we, we always joke as Dayton's 45 minutes for me that it's it's always a Pac-12 team. It's like, what do they do? They send the Pac-12 team every year to the first yeah. four. Yeah. And it might and it might happen again because UCLA, Southern Cal and and Stanford are all right there. So um, it might happen again. I the only thing I pray is they don't they don't try to get cute and put Mick in against Cincinnati. Cincinnati, because that would be I know that that was you know they love doing stuff like that too. Oh, and a, in Dayton, you know, yep. to where oh my gosh, I just don't, I don't want to deal with. Yeah, that, that would be just a, <laughs> that, that would be a, that's a lot to think of. You'll cross that bridge if you have to come to it, but yeah, oh. exactly. At least both teams would make it, right? <laughs> yeah. So hopefully not not quite before that too much. Well, uh, yeah, an un- unbelievable. Um, run that that UCLA has been on right now and they're up to 1811 overall and it's it's really crazy that they are now tied for first in the Pac-12 and that, that's just not and you and and just to like another another underlying side story is what's key in the Pac-12 as far as the Pac-12 tournament is concerned these next couple of games are huge because you want to get one of those top 4 seeds so you're able to get the bye uh, and, and you want to have to play, you know, maybe one less game and you're able to get through to where you you, you put yourself in real with a real opportunity to win this tournament. Yeah, exactly. If you can get a buy, that puts you right there, you know, it, to where uh, you got a chance. You, if, if you got to play, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's just too tough. So that those first four games, you know, the first four buys, it doesn't matter if you get the one or the four to me. Um, although I guess the one you're playing the eight in theory. So you're supposed to have a little bit easier game, but I mean, Six, seven, and eight is going to be somewhere, you know, maybe a Stanford who beat the beat the crap out of us. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, you're not going to get an easy game, you know. But yeah, you want to get one of them first four, and I, and I think now with this, if they can, if we can take care of business Saturday against Arizona, a uh, depleted Arizona too, because Green's not playing, um, you know, on your home floor, you got to keep that momentum going. Then I think the worst we could do is the third seed even if we lost to southern cal so you know i gotta go back and map those numbers out but i think that's what it was is is you could only drop to the to the three seed there so this game's monster it's just absolutely monster to give arizona another loss too and knock them down and they come off of a game where they played really really bad i mean usc was like trying to to let them back in the game and give them the game they were shooting in the 20 percent in, in the first half arizona was just turning the ball over left and right they looked ugly so in these weird weekend pac-12 uh, like you, you, like we we've talked about last week you never know like is the team that played poorly going to come back now and is arizona going to say okay now we we really have to split here or are they just struggling and is it is it going to be easy for ucla to kind of Pick the bones of maybe a, a wounded animal right now. You, you just never know in these Pac-12 weekends. They they're really really tough sometimes. Yeah, and Arizona's got problems just because their best three players are freshmen. 
and they're all got NBA aspirations. Now Green's hurt, and sometimes with freshmen that are looking towards that draft, at you know, at the end of February, they can get distracted. You know, they and and they start to struggle. They're wondering, okay, are we really going to be able to make a run here? Are they completely bought in? Are they starting to figure out? Well, I'm going to go here in the draft. You know. It's all about draft status. So that, it's a tough job. And I think Coach Miller's done a great job keeping them together. But, you know, when the struggles hit, are they going to fall apart or are they going to be able to right the ship on Saturday? Because this is a huge game for them, too, like you said. Yeah. I mean, are, because the, the thing all year with Arizona is if you can score against them, they have trouble scoring a lot of points. You know, they want to keep the game in the 60-65 area. And if you come out and hit shots, you can get away from them. I mean, heck, they would have get 48 or something against you guys. I mean, it it's a struggle for them to get points, and uh, especially with Green being out, their three-point percentage is dropping every game. Yeah, so we, we all laugh and we, we joke about it, but it really does feel like the Dukies this year are a struggle down the stretch, and, and I don't think they're a two-seed. But you know what's going to happen come come Selection Sunday. They're likely going to be rewarded again. I mean, we still obviously have a couple games for them to play and then their conference tournament. But uh, Duke struggles again, Dan. Like, how good is this Duke team this year? Do they deserve to be on the two line? I don't think they do. I think they've got some really, really bad losses. And if their name wasn't Duke, I think you'd be looking at a six or seven seed. I, I think they're horribly overrated. Um, yes, they got Jones, who's a good, solid player. Um, you know, yes, Kerry's a good, solid player, but they don't have any sure shot NBA Tatum's, you know, Williamson's, uh, you know, Barrett's, they, they just don't have any, you know, those guys are good players. They're not great players. They're not superstars. And, you know, that's why they lost to Clemson. That's why they lost to Stephen F. Austin. That's why they get beat 25 points to NC State. I mean, they're just not that good. You know, Florida State's the best team in the ACC, in my opinion. And and Duke has got a, you know, a Virgi- they're going to have to play against a Virginia team that has underachieved this year, but they still have to go and play at Virginia. And then they're going to have to play against an NC State team, whether it be at home, that just beat the crap out of them. So not necessarily the easiest down the stretch. And then you end with your rival, North Carolina, before the uh, the conference tournament. So, yeah, we're kind of focusing in and talking a lot because, honestly, the most exciting conference right now is the Pac-12. And so much can happen over these last few games. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm loving being able to talk to you and, and break down this UCLA team because they're a lot of fun and it makes it a lot more fun that my team is right in the mix too with a with a shot yeah, to get in absolutely. there too. It just kind of keeps you keeps you interested all, all the way through. There's nothing worse than a college basketball season when the team that you root for is just bad and they have no shot of making the tournament or even, you know, maybe getting lucky and making a run in the conference tournament. It just kind of takes you a little part of you out of the season, you know? And for you, this is really fun because you have two teams that weren't supposed to be very good. And those are kind of, as a fan, you know, you're rooting for Cincinnati and UCLA. Those are some of the most fun teams to root for when they really overachieve and they surprise you a little bit. Yeah, I never I, I never dreamed I'd be rooting for anything except try to get a little bit better by the end of the year and hopefully next year we can have a good year. I mean, I never, this never, ever came into my mind at, at, at any point. Even when we went out there and we beat uh, Utah at home and, 
and then upset Colorado at home. I said, okay, you know, at least they're winning a couple home games and, you know, turning the corner a little bit and keeping, keeping the wolves away for a little while. And, but I had never dreamed that they could do this. And and it's all, I mean, the players are just playing. I mean, they are actually really all stepping up and playing and, you know, they shorten the rotation a little bit and, and everything's working right now. So, um, you know, it was funny when I was out there in November, I I said to him a couple things when we were talking, I said, uh, you got to quit playing big and you got to get Kyman on the floor somehow. <laughs> and it was funny. Cause like every time Kyman scores, he'll text me and go, well, your, your guy had another good game. <laughs> your boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's said, great. Well, that's just the way it is. And your, your old horse racing brother is not too stupid. <laughs> yeah. So just a, a really, really phenomenal, no, no matter what happens the, these next you know, couple of weeks, it, even if UCLA loses three games in a row, even if UCLA wins, you know, five or six games in a row and wins the Pac-12 and wins the Pac-12 tournament and goes on, no matter what happens to end this year, this has just been an incredible job coaching. And you can tell that he has inspired the uh, the fan base. And, you know, because like anything, you know, it was for UCLA and for Mick, it wasn't like an immediate, you know, oh, this is the guy this mix right. going to come there immediately and so sometimes when it's like when that relationship isn't 100% it takes the fans a little while it takes some of the players a little while to go is this the guy and i mean all of my friends that are UCLA fans anybody that i see that roots for UCLA i think about you know 3 weeks ago maybe a month ago they all said you know what this is the guy mick this is the guy that we we should have got so i think you, you i'm sure you're very proud and i'm sure he's very excited about how everyone's been playing but you know what I know I think I know Mick even though I don't know him and I'm sure he would be saying hey I don't want any praise right now we still got plenty of work to do yeah exactly that's that, he just he just texted me actually while we were doing this call he was like we had him all the way didn't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep because <laughs> he he know he, he knows how I am he knows he knows I'm sitting on that couch jumping up and down he, he used to call me you remember the movie Hoosiers oh yeah I, I he used to call me shooter <laughs> he said, "I got the crazy brother jumping up and down on the hospital bed, listening to the game." I was like, "That's funny." That's exactly the only difference is I used to listen to him at Murray State, and now I get to watch him at least when I'm jumping up and down on the couch instead of having to listen over the internet. So, yeah, it's 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 been crazy, and it, I just, I mean, I being a basketball guy too, like you are, I, I love just watching the adjustments during the game that the normal fan doesn't see. You know the the different isolation plays that the different things both coaches are trying to do to get their and, yeah. yeah. I mean it's just it's incredible how how some coaches really make a ton of adjustments and other coaches just kind of throw the balls out and say I hope I got the best team and you know and think recruiting's going to do it all like down in Memphis and then you end up you know with sixteen and twelve seasons and you know you you got lottery picks and you don't win anything you know and that that's a, that's a problem where. You know, I think Southern Cal's in a great spot with Andy, and I think I think Mick's going to do a good job. I, the Pac-12, with this influx of new coaches the last four or five years, there's it's not surprising that the conference is getting better. Yep. You know, and now it's just, it's really really good, and I I could argue with anybody. You know, other than the Big Ten, maybe there's the, the Pac-12 is as good as everybody else. Yep. Because they're not they're they're the middle the middle part of the conference is very good. 
There's yeah. just no bottom. Like even a team like Washington was supposed to be the best team. They've got a couple guys that are going to be pros, you know, that are going to be like high level picks and, and they, they struggle and they've just kind of had one of those miserable seasons where everything goes, seems to go wrong. But like, there's just no down games, you know, you go on the road, you play a team like Utah, they're tough. And, uh, the first thing I was thinking last night down the end of that game when they came up and hit the shot, I was like, I wonder what it, that's like you said, did Dan just fall off the couch right now? Or what, <laughs> what? That's the first thing I went and tweeted. I was like, how's the how's the fat bald guy doing right now? Because I was laughing. I, you know what? I got to say, um, I've never been one, you know, because USC and UCLA are big rivals. And I've never been one that's like always just roots against UCLA. In fact, I kind of go the opposite way. I want them to be good. And, and USC beat them because then it's just better for everyone and it's more fun right. to, to beat a good team, you know. And, and so I, I find myself definitely rooting a little bit more for them to be good this year when since Mick is over there for you because I know it, it it's fun for you and uh, I, I know you you guys love basketball and Mick's a good guy and he, and he does a great job. So I like caught myself giving a little fist pump after UCLA hit that. I was like, <laughs> what am I doing here? Oh my gosh. Like, I hope my dad great. didn't see me like fist pumping for the Bruins. So it's, it's uh, funny. I got like 10, I got like 10 texts right after the game. And remember now on the East coast, it's one 30 yeah. in the morning <laughs> and it's horse racing guys from New York, horse racing guys from Florida that, that it's unbelievable. I mean, guys said I, I set my alarm for 2 a.m. to wake up to see who won the game. Like, who would do that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's like, you know, because they all, they know Mick owns horses. They know that he has a love for horse racing. They know me. And, they're you know, it's fun to root. So, you know, it gives everybody another team to root for. I even got a Syracuse fan up there rooting for us like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All, all over the place. So we were joking uh, on Twitter the other day about uh, uh, hashtag FBG mobile is going to be FBG global with the Saudi Arabia, <laughs> the Saudi Arabia races and some big races coming in. Let's just briefly touch on this because these races just from like a handicapping and gambling standpoint are going to be, it's going to be kind of hard, like watching them for the first time. This is more of like a, to me, at least I'm just going to watch like an event. Okay. I want to see how things go. I'm curious to how some of our big horses that are heading over there running uh, are going to run. And I, and you know what, when, when you put big money on the line, Dan, um, this is a race now where the winner of the race is going to be getting a $10 million prize. It's a $20 million race, but a $10 million prize to the winner. And we got a good group is as good of a group that we could send of some of our older horses from the U S with McKinsey, midnight Bisu, mucho gusto, uh, maximum security and Tacitus. This is, this is a good group. You're going to catch some really good European horses, um, some really good international horses that we've seen show up here. Just, just from like a, a who's who th- this is a fun thing to see. And, and hopefully this will be the start of, you know, we, we have a couple of big races in a row now with the Pegasus, with the Saudi cup, and then with the, the Dubai world cup. So what's, what I like about this, just from a, a horse racing fan standpoint is it feels like this might be able to keep some of these good horses around a little longer, you know, instead of yeah. re- retiring right after the breeders cup, some of them are going to say, you know what, maybe I'll hang around and run in maybe two of those three big races or, or, you know, even just one of those three big races. So I think it's cool that we see some of these big stars going over there. It's a good field. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, horse racing over the last four to five years for sure has evolved 
more into bigger day events, mm-hmm. you know, bigger weekend events. And then other than that, it's just, you know, the Wednesday to Sunday players are gone. That's why most tracks are going to Thursday, Sunday or Friday, Sunday. And that's because it's just a, a time thing. I think it's a smart thing to do. You know, people would rather go and see 12 races or 14 races on a Saturday than see eight races Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I I just think that's just the way it's going. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we need our stars to be there. You know, a horse like Maximum Security, we need him. You know, it's it's like you said with UCLA, you want them to be good. Well, we need Maximum Security to be good. We need Mucho Gusto to have a great year. We need, you know, horses like this to stick around. You know, when Kofefe retired the other day, I cringed. You know, not, not because there was anything wrong with her or anything. It was just... No, we needed our superstar to be here. We needed her to be at Keeneland. You know, we needed her to be there. And it's just, it really hurts horse racing when those horses retire. And, hey, I know it's not my money, but I've been screaming for 20 years. They ought to put in a rule that you can't breed until you turn five. And I think it would stop a lot of this. Because if if the horse isn't making any money sitting in there eating hay, those owners would run them. They're going to run. Goals. Sure. They would run them. Especially and, when they're healthy. You know, when they're yeah. healthy. It's like there's just too many horses that already are planned. They have their, their post-racing plans while they still have two or three races left. You know, and it, I just don't I don't like that a lot of the time. I just run them, keep running them. When they, when they feel like they're done, they, then you send them. But like you said, it's just we're, we're you know, like racing to breed, it's, you know, instead of breeding to race. It's kind of become, you know, really, really back, bass backwards is what, what yeah. some people say, you know, and. It's um, completely backwards. I mean, what? How much better is the Breeders' Cup if American Pharaoh comes back to defend his title? Yeah, just and, every... and I understand it's money. It's hard to do, but you know, there, you would think there's got to be some kind of insurance policy, something they could do to get these horses to run back as four-year-olds. And and I think the Saudi Cup's a gigantic, great idea. I wish they'd put in a really big race on Derby weekend for older horses. You know, the Ali Sheba's nice, but if that purse was triple that it would be a lot nicer, you know, and then roll right into the Stephen F. Foster after that, you know, and, and you got the, the Met mile now, which is, which has been yeah. bigger purse. people kind of w- will point to that sometimes too. So yeah, that you're right. If it's, if it's, Hey, doubling some of these purses to keep some of these horses around, you know what, when you're thinking about if it's worth it or not, I, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. And when we talk about this race, I mean, this is a great race. I mean, to me, it's maximum security's race to lose. Yep. Just just because of the the, the speed, the, the the he's going to dictate this race. He's going to go right to the front, and you know maybe he won't be able to get home because several of his wins turning for home, you thought he was going to get beat, and he just kept going. You know, in the Haskell, he looked dead beat, and the Bold Roller, he looked like, well, he's probably going to stop. You know, in the Cigar Mile, he just ran away from Spun to Run, which was shocking after the way that horse ran in the Breeders' Cup. But I think he's going to lead to the top of the stretch, and I think Mucho Gusto and uh, and uh, Ben Battle have have big chances. I think uh, trying to find this other foreign horse, the undefeated horse from Japan. I mean, I, I can't even pronounce the name Chisobel. I guess I, I don't. He's ten to one, but he's undefeated yeah. from Japan. I mean, we don't know how good that horse is. I mean, but those Japan third horses are usually pretty good. So. I think that horse at a big price has a chance. But if I was betting trifectas, and I know the takeout's high, so a lot of people aren't. But if I was betting trifectas, I'd be cur- I'd be 
I'd have maximum security on top. The only horse I would play to upset would be Mucho Gusto. Yep. And then I'd put the rest of them second and third. There's probably six or seven of them. What a chance. Uh, the one long shot I would use for sure in the try would be uh, Gold Dream. The other Japanese horse that ran right behind the undefeated horse could pick up a third spot or something. You know, I'm not a big tactics guy. I guess he could hit the board. Um, you know, Midnight Bazoo, let's talk about her for a second. I mean, she's an incredible mare. But I just I I don't think she's in this class. I mean, yeah, I may I'm be a little wrong. concerned. I loved her last year. I mean, she was awesome last year. She and and she was you know one of the best horses in training. But I just don't know. Like I I feel like she could beat if it was a, a field where she had to maybe just beat a Maximum Security or a McKinsey or a Mucho Gusto. You know, like, but I don't know if she could beat all of them. I that's, don't know if that's if, like, exactly right. You know, that's like all, I, I feel like three or four of them would have to all kind of show up with like a C level performance. And like if it was like a one on one instance, sure, she could be better than one of them that day, or maybe even two of them. But this field, like you said, it's a deep field, and I don't know if she's gonna be able to be that good. Yeah, exactly. And because she's gonna have to pass them all too. Yep. All three of them horses yep. are gonna be in front of her. Yep. So, I mean, she's going to be good enough to run by all three of them. I mean, McKenzie is one of the best milers we've seen, you know, probably since Frosted. You know, can he do the mile and eighth? Yeah, he can, but he likes to hang in the stretch. I think Mucho Gusto is the better Baffert right too. now. And he's I the play. No, he's the play. Yeah. And and because ba- Baffert is really high on him and he doesn't. He he's you know he talks about his good horses and stuff, but he has had so many good horses. You don't like he he does keep it pretty close to the guest the, to the vest. He's not one of the ones that's like this is the best horse I ever trained over and over. And he and he repeatedly has been saying something's changed with Mucho Gusto. You know he said like right around the the Pegasus race, he's like man this light bulb just went on for this horse, and he's taken himself to an, the next level. And he wouldn't be sending this horse there. Unless he had a big shot because he more than anyone with McKenzie, who you mentioned, McKenzie's a really good like measuring stick horse. And if Baffert didn't think that Mucho Gusto could compete with McKenzie at the very least, he wouldn't be sending him there. So I think to me, the the play is is Mucho Gusto. Uh, just the way he's coming into this race, I feel like he you might be able to get a little bit of, of value on him. And I just love everything Baffert's saying about him. So it feels like we're kind of on the on the same horse. It's like maximum security is going to dictate. We'll see the way that racetrack's playing. You know, you, you never know with a speed horse. Sometimes a racetrack could be really deep and tiring, and they just have no shot on, on a track like that. But he he's a good animal, you know, maximum security. And I think we we kind of, when you talk about him, you always have to talk about the Derby DQ. But it's one of those things where whatever happened in that race, he ran damn good. And he every time he's on the racetrack, he just shows up and he gives it his all. Yeah, and, and there's so many factors that that went into that DQ, too. And, again, the people at Churchill got mad at me because I said, well, the people at Churchill caused this because if they would have just moved the race up 45 minutes <laughs> You're right, for, the, though. for the safety of the horse, they saw the radar. They knew the downpour was coming. They could have moved every race up 10 minutes, ran that derby at 545. It had been on a dry track, and half that, that gook wouldn't have been flying back at him, and probably none of this would have ever even happened. Um, but you know, the excuse I got was, well, TV, TV, TV. I said, well, Tiger Woods was leading the masters and they moved the television. They told the TV yep. rain's coming. We're moving. Yep. You know, if, if you can move the masters with Tiger Woods leading in the final round, I think you can move a race an hour. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, <laughs> so... Absolutely. I mean, we, we see them do it the other way all the time, right? They they drag the races an hour late all the time. They can move it up once once or twice, especially when it's in for the safety of the horses. So, yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, we'll, all eyes will be kind of on on Saudi Arabia in this in this big race on Saturday morning as we all will will see how it unfolds for the yep. first time. And uh, Dan going to be I a want, big. I, I want to hear who you like at Gulfstream too. Oh, okay. Uh, I know. I know you're going to be covering that for the, yeah. for your for your fans. But I've got two possible singles in a late yeah, pick five. Who, who who do you like in the late? I think Zulu Alpha is a possible single, and I think the Philly of Pletcher's is the other possible single. Now that horse is going to be three to five. Was it Spice to run Spice or something nice. like that? Spice is nice. Yeah, I mean she could be any kind of of the. The the three in there that I, I that I think are really really talented. Spice is nice, Byerness and Tonal is shape. I think yep. Spice is nice has by far the biggest upside. I think if you're looking for a horse to single, it would be that one. And I definitely prefer Spice is nice to Tonal is shape. I I give a little shot to Byerness too. Like I would I'm gonna oh, probably yeah. I think the two of them like Spice is nice, Byerness I prefer more than I prefer Tonal is shape. So I absolutely am with you on. Like of the short prices in there, I much prefer Spice is nice. And what's crazy about about Zula Alpha is, I think you're right. Like he's become a must use now, and and in a group that in the last like year year and a half, like th- this group of these horses on the grass, these older on the grass that go long, they always just take turns beating each other, and they've yep. been like waiting for somebody to jump up and kind of take a grab and a, a hold of the division and say like I'm the man here. And I think, I think Zulu Alpha is trending that way. That was a big, yeah. big win. And, and, and he, what's funny is before that race, now that horse was like 15 to 1 on the morning line, first time out this year. I have never, and I'm including all the Bafferts, I've never had more phone calls from guys from Kentucky and around the Mike Maker barn call me about a horse than I did the day before Zulu Alpha came back. And every single one of them, man, Zulu Alpha's coming out of his skin. I'm telling you now, ignore the price. This horse is going to win. This horse is going to be a champion this year. This horse is getting so good. And I'm like, man, how many people can call yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is crazy. It's like, what do you tell everybody in the barn? He tell them to call me? Hey, trying to get two to one instead of 15 to one? <laughs> what did he call me for? You know, it was crazy. And then, of course, he ran out of his skin. And, and actually, he didn't even get a good trip. No. I mean, he, he cut the corner. He had to sift through a hole and shoot up the rail. And, you know, they don't usually win coming up the rail like that. Usually you come down the middle of the track on the turf. So, I mean, he just, I mean, he exploded in the lane. And I think there's only two horses in there that can beat him. And that's, you know, the 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 horse everybody always likes, Sadler's Joy. And then Thread of Blue going yep. wire to wire. I mean, that's I, exactly the three two, that I, and, and I, you know what, some... That's fine if you're looking at the late pick five and you're looking at it like, you know what, this might be a four and full race. Sometimes you don't have to get too cute. You can look for a price or two in, in some of the other spots. I, those are the three that I had. I don't, I think, you know, if, if it's a thread of blue loose on the lead and otherwise it looks like Sadler's Joy. But if that's going to be the case and you're looking at these courses going, okay, there's only going to be the three of them. They might all be kind of like shortish prices, not huge prices. You're Sometimes you're just better off singling Zulu Alpha and giving yourself the coverage right. all the way around it, you know. When I, I love doing the double single, and what I do is I flip-flop them. So I'll, I'll single the Spice Horse and then take those three yep. uh, 
and then I'll come back and I'll take the three of them that we talked about in the Philly race and, and then, then single, single Zulu. Zulu sure. Absolutely. So I do the same win, thing all the time. I got a, I got a dollar one if they both win. And if one of them gets beat, sometimes you're happy that one of them got beat because it's you get to play four. double. Yeah. Hey, you got the four to one instead of the three to five. You're like, Oh, why not? And, and then the fountain of youth. I don't think you need that many horses. Now I, I know Dennis Moman had a bad work and I know there's some iffiness about that horse. And I know the, the other competition drew the, the parking lot, chance it. But I think other than that, other than those two, the only other horse I'm using is Candy Tycoon on the fence. I, I just know since day one, they've loved this horse. And they've bet him and bet him and bet him. And maybe he just took four or five races to figure it out. He, and he was big. The, well, yeah. And the, and the speed is all in the 9, 10, 11, 12 holes, right? So he's on the rail. He's got a bunch of plotters to his outside. If if Franco just breaks him and gets him to that first turn, he doesn't have to be in front. But if he is in front at 15 or 20 to 1, you're going to pray you had him in the pick four and pick five. You know, because chance it might end up in the parking lot. And Dennis Moment, there's just so many questions about him with that last work. I mean, and the, and the thing about his last work is that horse that, that, that outworked him was 10 to 1 morning line on the grass the other day at Gulfstream. They bet him to two to one, and he ran out of the money. Yeah. So that's scary. And and, and there's yeah, I think this is a race where I'm. You mentioned Candy Tycoon's going to be in all of my exotics. I'm going to use. Um, I mean, is there and, anybody and, else we can use in the pick five to try I, to upset these two? I mean, the I only horse that I I wanted and I want to make a case for, and I'm going to use him underneath. But what I don't like is that like, the only reason why he's running in this race, I found out, is because a first level allowance didn't fit Phil, and that was Country Grammar, who I think like I I think is a price. He's kind of an up and coming horse, and I don't think okay. he's maybe like I don't know if. I'm, I would like another race from him. I just don't. I think this is going to be a little bit too much to deal with a couple really good horses not having raced in a month, like not having raced in a couple months and stepping up a little bit. But I would, I, I do think he's got a shot in there. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I thought, you know, you, you got to start with Dennis's moment. Um, and, and that kind of, how do you like him? How do you not? How are you going to use him in this race? The one candy tycoon could really dictate things. And then, uh, what are you going to do with Chance It to the outside? And that's kind of how you, uh, you approach this race because Chance It's good. But if he gets parked and he's going to have to work, and, you know, Ete Indian right to his inside is going to be kind of pushing him wide. Shotsky right. won't be too far out of it. So he's going to try to hook him wide too. And, and maybe Candy Tycoon is able to steal it down on the inside, or it works out that, that Dennis's moment gets a nice trip right in behind all the speed. Right. But and for pick five players, you're, you're three times one times three. Right. In the three races we talked about or one times three times three, you can go so deep in them other two races that are really, really tough that if you stab a 15 or 20 to one with your four five, six horses, you can use and still stay with a decent budget. I mean, this thing could pay. And and I can't tell you how many pick fours, pick fives I've hit over the years with an even money or a two to one that paid twenty thousand, paid forty thousand. So people that say, well, you can't win like that. They're not. You can. It, it, you absolutely can because all you got to do is hit that one illogical horse that the normal smaller player that's three by three by three by three because they don't know how to bet. They're all three by three by three by four by three. And you get to that fifth or sixth horse that's so hard to get, you know, whether he's 15 to one or 30 to one, you'll know by the multis if this horse is playing big. And if he plays big, you, you I mean, can you imagine catching a 15 or 20 to one and then having. The, the Pletcher horse alive in the last leg. I mean, that, that it, it'll be 
five to seven times higher than Chance It and Dennis Moment. Dan Cronin, Fat Bald Guy Racing, Keeneland Dan, we appreciate it. And next week we'll have to talk with you either before or after we have that big rivalry game with the yes, USC UCLA. And Dan, thanks a lot. Let the folks know out there how can we find you online and where can we uh, where can we find Fat Bald Guy Racing? Absolutely. You can find me every day at Keeneland Dan at Fat Bald Guy Racing on Twitter, but the website is fatballguyracing.com or FBG Mobile. And uh, we've got it. We've got all the, we got seven, eight tracks the next couple of days. So it's going to be fun. Thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate it. Good luck to the Bruins this weekend. Good luck in all of your wagers. And we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Talk soon. See you, Gino. Keeneland Dan, we're both excited with our teams. Hopefully, getting right into this NCAA tournament. Let's take a quick, let's take a quick break here on That's What G Said. We'll be right back. A big thank you to our good buddy Dan there. We'll be talking to him a couple more times as we get closer and closer to uh, the NCAA tournament, conference tournaments coming up soon, and he's on on cloud nine with how well his brother is doing there at UCLA. Let's move from one interview to the next. We'll go to the pick six king, John Stetton. We give a little background on John, how he got into racing. We talk about his website, Pass the Wire, and then we go through races 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 from Gulfstream Park on Saturday, which uh, concludes with the Fountain of Youth. So that will be our discussion there. We spend about uh, almost an hour talking, uh, talking racing. So hope you enjoy this interview with John Stetton, the Pick 6 King, will get to this interview after a word from one of our sponsors. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can enjoy use that promo code G-I-N-O my favorite is Fresh Roses the Fresh Roses scent is awesome if you're a horse racing fan they got Del Mar in there you ever want to know what Del Mar smells like but you couldn't make it out there order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company the website C-E-R-A Candles.com Sarah Candles.com promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase this is a, a fun show for me because we have a little bit of a, an elite racing network reunion. First, we had uh, Keeneland Dan, Fat Bald Guy Racing. We talked a little college with him, we, a little bit about the, the big race at Saudi Arabia. He gave us a couple thoughts at Gulfstream Park. And now we get to talk to the Pick 6 King, friend of mine, one of the best handicappers out there that you'll find, and a great, great follow on social media, a great writer over at Pass the Wire. Very happy to have him join us on That's What G Said podcast, the Pick Six King, John Stetton. John, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Gino. I, I, I appreciate the kind words. But I got to say, I, I, I may have to lose the Pick Six King moniker because the, the, the Pick Six really is a thing of the past now. With Jackpots, man. Oh, gosh. It's just. I bet two or three pick sixes a year now. You know? yeah. It's just not the same. It's no, it's it's not like the days where you could you could take a shot and have a legitimate chance to sweep the pool on like a non carryover day for 30, 40, 50 grand, you know, a hundred grand. You just um 
it's just it's just a bummer now with the with the way things go. And w- what I love is that right off the bat we started talking about an issue. That's one of my favorite things about Past the Wire, John, is that in in a day and age when horse racing is kind of our our bubble of horse racing is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. A lot of people in a lot of places are worried about being critical or being a little bit negative sometimes if they don't like the way things are. That's what I love about Past the Wire. When there's something critical out there that deserves to be critiqued, you or some of the writers that you guys have there are going to critique it. If there's something that's worthy of being praised, you or some of the writers that you have around there, they're going to praise it. You just don't see that kind of like honest, real coverage in horse racing. And I think it's very refreshing what you guys do over at Past the Wire. Well, I I appreciate that. And I I do try and keep things real and in perspective um, on both sides of the fence. When there's positive stuff, I love to talk about it. And I actually, you know, every every column I go into, I kind of look for something positive to write about. And, you know, in all honesty, some weeks it's just not there, you know, and I I can't help that. You know, is that the Drago? Who's that in the back saying hello? Let me have him quiet. No, no problem. I got the three over here. They always want to check in. You might hear Milo crying in the background, also. So sometimes they just they get bored. They want to be a part of the show. You know, that's that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> Rocco hears things that nobody hears and sees things that nobody sees. So you know, <laughs> I get that from him at like three in the morning. Everybody's like sound asleep, and all of a sudden Rocco is going crazy, and I'm looking at the outdoor security cameras trying to figure out what he's barking at. <laughs> There's nothing there, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about how Past the Wire kind of came to, to fruition And let's give us a little bit about your background you, You're someone who's been around the racetrack basically your whole life Tell us about it and how'd you get into racing and, and how'd you get into gambling Well, you know, it, it is a little bit of an interesting story And how Past the Wire, you know, ties in is, is, is also interesting Because I never dreamed I'd be writing about racing and have a website, you know, dedicated to that But my dad was a mutual clerk um, for, for the New York Racing Association. So he worked at Aqueduct, Belmont, and Saratoga. They moved around. So ever since I was born, um, I spent every summer at Saratoga. Saratoga was a vacation for my mom and I, and even for my dad to, to an extent, but he worked up there behind the windows. But every night after the races, we'd go out to dinner. We'd be hanging out in Saratoga. Um, every day I would go to the racetrack. I mean, from the time I was in a stroller until the time I was running around with uh, – Angel Cordero's son, Tommy, and Eddie Belmonte's son, Eddie, and, you know, those guys were leading riders, and Angel's daughter, Merle, you know, we were all friends and running around the racetrack um, while my dad was working behind the windows. Their dads were riding races, and I just, you know, grew up around it and, you know, spent some time working on the backside, um, just, you know, around it my entire life, and, you know, a lot of families would read the, you know, the newspaper in the mornings. My mom and dad were reading the, you know, what was back then called the telly or the telegraph um, prior to the racing form. So I, I learned, I, I mean, you know, past performances were one of the first things I learned how to read. I was yeah. six or seven years old and I was, you know, already looking at, you know, the entries and the odds and the trainers and the riders and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, my mom really wasn't a handicapper. She would look at the program and she would form opinions and bet, but I'd be sitting with her and she'd say, Oh, um, I love what a pleasure horse is in the slop. You know yeah. what I mean? I was yeah. seven years old. So I was like picking up stuff like that. Oh, racing <laughs> horses, they're great. First time out, you know, and these things, when you're a kid, they stick with you. Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. By the time I would say I was 10, 
I was having opinions, okay? And also I would say around that time, you know, if my mom or my dad would bet and win, of course they would give me some money. So I learned at a very early age that, hey, if you pick the right horse, you can get money. And if uh-huh. I pick the right horse, you get money. So I started betting very young. It was something that really wasn't frowned upon in my household. You know, no, um, no, not with me either. No, no, no. I mean, exactly the same. You understand. I mean, it was just a, a, a common, you know, it was part of our life. You know what yep. I mean? There was no stigma attached to it. It was a really part of our life. And you my know, mom and dad I, met each other at the track. You know, uh-huh. and so and so like that was uh she she sold the digest in front and my dad was just, you know, like us, he was a gambler and he had a job where he is a general contractor. So it's nice for him. He can make his own schedule, which means you get get there at five or six and you can be ready to go to first post at, uh, at Santa yeah. Anita by twelve thirty one. You know, it's so interesting, interesting, because my mom and dad also met at the racetrack. Um, and I my mom was at Belmont Park the day before I was born. And was at Belmont Park with me in a stroller two or three days after I was. <laughs> I think you got me beat there. I think we were about a couple of weeks to where I have my first one at Santa Anita where I'm sitting there. And it's funny, kind of similar to what you said in one of the first pictures that I have at the racetrack, I'm looking at the racing form, you know, that my dad's got. And I'm, you can tell right. my eyes are like kind of fixated on it. And it's, it's one of those things, John, where you definitely it doesn't work this way for for everyone, but most people that we talk to, or most people that are in the industry, you you catch the bug at an early age, and and you can kind of tell early that whether this is going to be something you do for a living, or this is something that is one of your major hobbies that you you know you put a, a lot of your time and effort into. This is something that's going to be part of my life for a long time. Yeah, no, it's been it's you know it, it, it's been a focal part and central part of my life you know all the way so far and i really don't see that that changing i will say um you know i've been a professional better for a long time it was it was it was really all i did to make a living from for many years and it was very difficult um it's not really that way for me anymore um i still play to horses all the time but i don't play nearly as much as i used to um, and that's by design and by choice because yep. the game has changed and evolved so much. Um, I mean, you know, 15 years ago, uh, I, I was making a living playing the horses. Um, I'm very glad that I don't have to do that today because I think it's always been extremely difficult. Um, so I don't mean to imply or suggest that it at any point was not, but I think it's nearly impossible today without the um, assistance of some rebates or, or, or something like that. Because the, yeah. the game has changed so much. I mean, you're playing now not only against everybody else in the pool, you're playing against syndicates, um, you're playing against high takeouts, and you're playing against, um, you, you know, just so much information out there and so many people out there. It, it, it's, it's, it's just really, really difficult, let alone... You, you know, drugs, illegal and legal, both. Super barn, super trainers. Yeah. Uh, you know, used to be, I'll give you an example. It used to be years ago, you could look at the sheets, um, ragazins or thoroughgraph, and, you know, a horse might stand out as being just heads and tails faster than everybody else, and he could be 10 or 15 to 1. That rarely happens now, and yep. when they do, they're 3 to 5, and everybody mm-hmm. knows it. Um but rarely do you even see those kind of standouts now because, you know, the playing field has been leveled through so many different, you know, channels that 
it makes it much more difficult to uh, isolate certain horses. I mean, not to say to spend too much time on the sheets, but now to me, the sheets are a tool where I could maybe eliminate two or three horses from a play, race. Play against, yeah. As opposed to finding one that stands out, maybe I could find two or three that are just flat out too slow to win, um, and I can uh, eliminate them from all, all, all wagers. But other than that, it's just a very, very, you know, tough tough environment and you're really really up against it and you know i understand why racetracks allow syndicates to bet into their pools and have you know less second access to you know making wagers with the press of a button but uh you, you know i understand why they do it but it's a tremendous disadvantage for anybody who's not doing it yes so, it's hard and it's hard to explain some of the things to like if you if you're bringing one of your friends John that to the track that doesn't know racing very well and you're explaining things to them it's hard to explain to someone why when a horse is going into the gate that we just bet at 8 to 1 and then they go off at you know 7 to 2 or something like that and they're kind of scratching their head like well, they go off at that price and then it's it's soon it's funny it's like Immediately when the gates open they open up two lengths And then their price jumps down And I know and I don't like I'm not conspiracy Theory and things and that but it's just It's one of those things where it's like the live horse Breaks and then you know all the All the money's coming through late and it's just tough to Explain to someone like what's happened And and that's what's hard when, when we You know I, I love introducing new people That's something that I've done my whole life bringing friends to the track Showing them how to bet teaching them um, You know how to play the races or you know what, What's a good wager what's a bad wager things like That um, you, it just it, there are some things like you said that's made it very difficult to make a living on and it's made it difficult to kind of like bring someone in and and want to introduce them to a world that sometimes we're kind of scratching our head going like what the hell just happened yeah no <laughs> it, it really is and you know there, there there's always i i mean i joke with people especially in the sequence we're going to discuss today at Gulfstream. i always say you know the Gulfstream late pick five on these big steak days like pegasus day and whatnot um, there's always one race where one horse you just can't logically get to wins. Yep. Um, and it, it, it's just, you know, one of those uncanny things. I mean, on, on, um, uh, Pegasus day, it was a spooky channel, you mm-hmm. know, um, I couldn't get to him no matter what you did. Um, uh, you, you know, some people like them. I don't know how, I don't know why they explained it. I know, uh, Ellis star the Uber capper liked them and, 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 and was, you know, high on them. I couldn't see it, you know, um, and there, there'll be a horse on tomorrow in all likelihood that falls into that category. I mean, Gulfstream is, is, is for some reason notorious for that. It's just one of those little idiosyncrasies that I observed there, um, similar to what you said about, you know, odds, you know, you know, changing. It seems to happen a lot there. Um, and it does seem to um, somehow, and again, not, not to be a conspiracy theorist myself, but it does somehow tie into the trips. It looks yeah, like you're right. Right. Like the one you that know? breaks on the lead is right. always the one right. that, that gets cut. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, he almost gets clear on the lead when there's a ton of speed. All of a sudden he goes, you know, nine to five to seven to five, you know, yeah. six to five, yeah. you know, um, or the favorites in all kinds of trouble at six to five. And, you know, you can see he's not going to clicks up to five to two, you know, yeah. I'm like, like, Oh really? Yeah. That right. was, yeah. But uh, it's uncanny, but it, it, we'll, it happens. And we'll do our best on these big days because, like, I I, th- I think I I fit very similar to the approach that you just kind of mapped out. Is that I'm not playing as much on a day to day basis anymore. I'm d- trying to do a better job of picking and choosing my spots, and maybe it's going to be on a big carryover day here or there, or maybe it's going to be on like some some of these big days like Saturday where you feel like okay, there's a little more money in the pool, so maybe. 
uh, the, these horses aren't going to get hit as hard, or maybe a, you know I can you know it can chalk out and still play pay a little bit better than than normal. You just feel like you have a little bit a little bit more of an opportunity to get some value. So a, an unbelievable 100%, 100%, card. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I I agree. I have the exact same approach. I like to play the big days and the big races because the pools are bigger. Um, I feel that. You know, someone who's a real true handicapper like I am, who, you know, looks at a lot of past performances and a lot of replays, I think in the stake races where, you know, 90% of everybody is all in and really trying to win and really, you know, trying to get over there at their best. I think on a level playing field like that, I have an edge over a lot of players because I, I put in the homework, I put in the time yep. and, uh, you know, it can come together for me better on those days than on, say, a Wednesday afternoon when you got, you know, 12 horse made in 12 fields running. You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. are, just, you know, tough to decipher and all kinds of things can happen. And, you know, you don't know who's giving a race, who's using a race to get fit, who's this, who's that. I mean, there are just so many factors that, you know, make an already difficult game even more difficult. So I, I agree. I like the big days. I like to go after them. I like the pool sizes. And I think, you know, you, you have a better shot on those days, or at least I feel like I do. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's funny to say that, but it's like it feels like on a harder day, even if you lose, you just feel better going in, right? Because it's like it, I want it to be a little bit harder because that's where we get our separation. That's where we 100%. make our money. One hundred percent. You you and I aren't trying to just you know turn a dollar into a dollar twenty. We're kind of trying to wait and pick our spots and, and and then make it make a big score, you know, like like you've done many times with the pick sixes. So this this is one of those days where you can you can take that approach. And we have a really nice like late pick five sequence uh, or last five races that are kind of big stakes races we'll start talking about and we'll talk about um the tenth race. So like all of these you can play in you know the either the pick six or the late or pick four or different different wagers throughout the day. Let's start with the Devona Dale and I mean, two years ago, would anybody know uh, Safety Joseph Jr. and and now becomes one of the absolute best trainers out there? I mean, when your name is up there with with Pletcher and Brown, and, and you know you're beating like Navarro down there at Gulfstream Park with some of his big horses, um, that's quite a feat. And this barn has really jumped onto the the scene in the last few years. They have a horse like this, tonalist shape, who's you know, going for her fourth consecutive, she just won one of the local preps in the forward gal, and she'll take a lot of money. Um, Spice is nice is going to take a lot of money in here. Who won by twelve for Pletcher? Uh, Byerness was was very impressive in, in both of her starts. Who? Where do you where do you go in this tenth race? Well, I, I'll tell you. You know, Safi Joseph has has been on my radar for a while. Um, even when he was, you know, unknown. I had noticed something about him that caught my eye. He has always, since he's been in Florida, which is, I'd say, maybe eight, ten years now, whatever, seven years, I'm not exactly sure, but he's been here a little bit while, um, and he was under the radar for a while. But two things actually brought my attention to him. One is Ramiro Restrepo, who works for Fasic Tipton and is a very, very sharp guy, um, was steering horses to him and had a couple of horses with him early on. And I knew that he would not give horses to somebody who was not very sharp. And that kind of put him on my radar screen. And what I noticed about him was he's had a very high win percentage off the claim. Um, and I'm talking 35, 40%, even a couple of years, he was 42 or 43% off the claim. I think at this Gulfstream meet, he's over 40% off the claim. And that was indicative to me that this guy knows what he's doing with a racehorse. He knows what to look for and he's improving horses 
um, and, you know, scoping out good horses. And now that he's gotten better stock, it's really come full circle for him. And he's, uh, you know, I think he's got 70, 70 horses or something like that at Gulfstream. And he's got a couple on the Derby Trail. He's got, you know, a couple on the Oaks Trail. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's only 30 years old or thereabouts. And he's an up-and-coming guy for sure. Um, and, you know, that's where I land in this race. I'm hoping that Spice is Nice goes off a favorite. I think the race comes down to the three horses that you mentioned. Um, with one question mark, and the question mark would be Reluctant Bride, who's never been on the dirt for Patrick B. and Cohen, but it's a Spites Town gone west out of a, out of, out of a broken bow mare. So while you know she is bred for turf, um, Spites Towns run on anything. Um, so you know she is a question mark. He's thirty two percent turf to dirt. Pratt rides the horse. Um, I think if you're betting exotics and, you know, pick fours, fives or sixes, um, you know, this was a horse. This is a horse that I would tend to include at a big price because she, it's just a question mark. But I think the race does run through Safi Joseph's horse, the bottom horse, toneless shape with the other two you mentioned being the logical contenders. But I lean here for a couple of reasons. I think Pletcher's horse off the one maiden race is going to get over bet. Kind of reminds me of that dream of Julia horse yep, a couple yep. of years back that just ran lights out and everybody loved it. And you know, she kind of regressed off those big races. Um, obviously a million dollar purchase, you know, well-regarded, definitely delivered in the debut. Um, but you know, that's a maiden race. Now she's going against the horse who, in my opinion, has a little bit more bottom to her. And if you look at Tonalist Shape, what, what I really like, her, her first race for Juana Villa, she wins. But her next race, she really goes forward in the second start off the layoff. So I anticipate the same kind of pattern. I anticipate, you know, the, the February race, a race that she moves forward off of. And three for three over the track with that bottom, a nice outside draw with Tyler Gaffleone can sit just about anywhere he wants her to be. Um, and, and make the winning move. And if uh, Reluctant Bride isn't, uh, you know, some kind of sneaky dirt horse, I, I think that she'll handle the other two, Spice is Nice and, and Bareness, who both also figure, and I, I would lean to Bareness. Yeah, me too. Yeah. This is nice, um, uh, but not over the bottom horse. I mean, Bareness is first time three-year-old. She's two for two. She looks really, really good. Um, but I'll in this particular, and I, I don't shy away from fresh horses, first time three year olds, especially. Um, but I'm going to give the edge to the bottom horse with the race under her belt. It's that's the team. difference. Yeah. That's the difference to me too, is that if, if Byroness had another race or that race was a little more recent, I might, I might lean, I, I would be a little bit more confident and just depending on like the price when they all come down, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the price difference between the two of them is. But what's very nice about tonalist shape is, and what will make her tough is like you mentioned, she got that, that race under her belt and yeah, it was a little low. The figure came back a little low and stuff, but when you watch, like she was never in trouble, she was never in doubt. She was really doing it very, very easily there. And, um, and, and she's impressive, man. It's, uh, this is a, a there's a couple nice fillies in this race. I think it's a it's a good a good Devona Dale in race number ten. Let's move to the eleventh race, which is the Canadian Turf in here. Wow, this one is one of those where I think three or four different horses might might vie for favoritism in here. You look at a couple horses who come out of Tampa Bay race uh, and they they didn't run well, but they could figure in here like Caribou Club and Emery. But I mean, you could you could really sell me on anyone in this race because there are many directions to go in here. Um, who who are your plays in this one? 
Well, I, 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 I agree there's a couple of different contenders in here. Um, and I can make a case for, for all of them. I think the horse that's going to be um, in a position to win the race, turn it for home. You know, I, 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 when I handicap a race, I try and look at how they're going to run. You know, what, what, what's going to happen, where everybody's going to be at every point. And I think turning for home, the horse you're going to have to beat is Pletcher's horse, Sambaye. Um, I think Sambaye is going to be able to sit right off the speed and probably has the quickest move of any of these. And I think that Pratt will make that move, turn it for home, and that's going to be the one that they have to run down and get past down the lane. Um and I think that might be a little tough to do. Uh, I think that, you know, the other contenders are um, Hey Dakota, who's a different horse in the Jason Service Barn, yep. I think, obviously. Um, even though he beat somebody last time, I don't know that he'll get that kind of trip and beat him today, um, or Saturday, rather. Um, Caribou Club was a little disappointing at Tampa, but figured in that race and, you know, may have needed it, you know, and. Tom Proctor's a guy I respect a lot, doesn't run a lot of horses, um, but Glen Hill Farm does things the right way. They've got some nice horses, and uh, this horse was in really good form at the end of last year and can definitely improve off that race. Goes back to Fergal Lynch, who seems to ride this horse very well, have a lot of success with him. Um, Dangerous horse. Uh, Another horse I find very interesting in here um, and this guy has beaten me with so many of these kind of horses that I don't like to allow him to do it anymore. But Mr. Dumas, who goes first time for Mike Maker, um, his two firm turf races um, look better to me than the two good good turf races, um, which a lot of people might not agree with that. But I just think those were two good races. Um, fresh, back on a firm turf, first time Mike Maker. Um, looks like he'll be in a good spot. Um Dangerous horse, in my my opinion, and uh, another horse who I think is 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 dangerous at a, at a at a big price is this horse, Flying Scotsman. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I was going to mention too. I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, takes blinkers off, um, which Jack Sisterson does pretty okay when he does that. Um, but this horse has some really good good races and some some hidden form. His really only bad race was the race at Saratoga. Um, but I'm willing to forgive that from the 11 hole going a mile and three sixteenths at Saratoga. He was 30 to one that day. Um, I'll give him a pass for that one. You know, um, yeah. you know, you take away that race and he's really never run a bad one. And, uh, he was yeah. a real like buzz horse last year. I remember like after a couple of uh, like coming into the Sisterson barn, and uh-huh. I remember even I picked him in like a fantasy league, and I I've just always been really high on him because I I remember his big race out at Del Mar in 2018, and he's one of those really high upside horses that you mentioned. Like you start to dig and you go race by race, and you're like, wow, you know what this horse. He's only thrown in like one real clunker And he seemed like he had an excuse for that That you just made So you know that those are the kind of long shots that are nice And and you know he, he has a tough post But for a horse that is going to be a little bit of a price What's nice is he has tactical speed So you know he's not going to be coming from dead last Sometimes when you play a long shot And they're way out of it And the, the, it's going slow early on You just know you're, you, got no tr- you got no shot When you play a horse like this At least he's going to give you a good run for your money Because he should be you know, right in the mix and kind of insert himself into the race pretty early. I agree. I agree. Um, very dangerous. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I think that Pletcher's horse, Sambaye, is, is, is the way the race shapes up, the horse to beat. Um, I think coming down the lane, he's going to be the one they have to get by. But, you know, he's far from a lock. It's a, it's, it's a wide open race. I think we hit on the contenders. Yep, I think so, um, too. You know, the, the only other one that I would really look at in there is maybe English B, who will probably be a deep closer. So if the race is falling apart, um, I probably wouldn't be shocked to see Castellano closing on the outside with this horse and, you know, maybe have a shot. But, you know, I'd really have to be reaching to get to him. Um, I like the other ones better, but, you know, my top choice would be Sambaye. Let's get your race number 12, the Gulfstream Park Mile. And... You'll see a lot of the older horses that maybe would would be in a spot like this that are going to be running in Saudi Arabia or maybe they ran in the Pegasus or maybe they're pointing to Dubai in a month or so from now. So you're left with a field that looks like kind of a grade two, grade three field. And Mr. Freeze has become really, really good over the last you know four or five races. He's been very consistent. He shows up from just like a figure standpoint. He runs. He's been running some really good like buyer numbers and and speed figures. But you you can you know if you get away from him, that's where you can really build cases for for lots of others in here. So are you going to kind of start with Mr. Freeze? How do you feel about him in this race and then moving forward? Well, I'll I'll share something with you about Mr. Freeze. Um, I loved Mr. Freeze in the Pegasus and made a very, very big bet on him that day. Um, and if you notice, I think he was 20 to 1 on the morning line that day. Nobody was talking about him. Um, and, you know, when he opened up 9 to 1 and went off 7 to 1, um, I can really say, because he did not win, that I was probably somewhat responsible or par- partially <laughs> contributory <laughs> to that to that drastic reduction in his morning line. It's probably too high to begin with at 20 to 1, but uh, I don't think anybody expected him to go off 7 to 1 that day. Um, he ran a really good race. He had more trouble than shows in the running line. He didn't break well and was rushed up on the outside um, to get to the lead. Um Dan Tordman from America's Best Racing, Anonymous Dan, who you probably know and know of. Um, I was talking to him before the race, and he loved Bodie Meister. Um, and when I told him I liked Mr. Freeze, he goes, well, how could you like him? There's no way he gets the lead off of Bodie Meister. And I said, listen, I'm not only going to guarantee you Mr. Freeze is going to win, which he didn't, admittedly, but I guarantee you without any doubt he's in front of Bodie Meister. The I think you said Bodie Meister a few times too when you mean Bodie Express, who's the son of Bodie Meister, Bodie Express, right. which I, is an honest mistake with Bodie I, Express. I, exactly, right. <laughs> Bo, uh, yeah, Bodie, Bodie Express. Um, and he was in front of him despite the trouble that he had. I thought he ran a huge race. Now, I will be the first to admit I was wrong. Um, he wasn't beating Mucho Gusto no matter what. Um, Mucho Gusto just came and brought his game and – you know, he was absolutely the better horse that day. So I lost because I don't reverse exactors or anything like yeah. that. And of course, Mucho Gusto was the big exactor I played for second, but that's just how it goes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, you, you know, I don't get married to horses and that, you know, I don't, you know, have to come back with them, but it's hard for me to get away from him because, yeah. you know, the reason I liked him so much that day is I knew a little bit about him. Um, I knew how good he was coming into the race. I knew he was going to improve. I knew that they had done some things with him differently um, and corrected some things with him that he was running well with. But 
you know, would run better without. So I, I, you know, I took a, sh a shot with him and, you know, although he didn't win, he ran good enough. Now, the thing about it is it's hard for me to get away from him because when I look at the way the race shapes up tomorrow, um, he's well drawn in the nine post. So he's able to sit or stalk yep, or do whatever, yeah. whatever Franco wants down that one turn mile. Um, he's like the, and he, of all the horses who have like some tactical speed, he's to the outside of all of them. Exactly, which so is really nice. It gives gives him some options. Um, Romans has been really, really cold this entire meet. Um, he's I think three for forty or something like that. It's hitting like five, six percent, something like that, which is you know terrible for him. But he's a great trainer. Um, I know he likes this horse. I like his work. Um, on February twenty third, uh, the minute breezing I think was an excellent work. Um, he does have three works after the Pegasus, so. Um, that tells me he's on his game and can, you know, certainly go forward or at least run the same race. Um, so I, 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 I do like Mr. Freeze. He is not a single. Um, there were two other horses that I have to use. Um, one of those horses is Haikal down on the inside. Um, the two horse, uh, you know, I always thought this horse had a little bit of ability. I never thought he was a derby horse when he was on the derby trail. Um, but I did think he was a nice horse. Um, I like his return race. I'm, I'm a big fan of Kieran McLaughlin, second off the layoff, always have been. Um, this horse does go forward second off the layoff and, uh, you know, he might, he might be a decent four-year-old. I'm, I, 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 I gotta give him a shot in here, um, at a big price, hopefully. Um, the other horse that I'm really scared of is another horse that ran on the Pegasus undercard, um, and that's Zenden. Um, you know, Zenden I've watched since Victor Barboza had, okay. And he's been in a lot of races where he just really didn't have a chance. There was just too much speed, um, too many early presses, just, just never really had a chance. And then Fletcher gets him, um, runs him first time at Gulfstream Park West. He wins fast race at Gulfstream Park West. Um, comes back in the midst of prospect that kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit against Imperial Hint, Lasting Legacy, Diamond Ops. Those are some really, really good sprinters. Um, had that one race off the belt. You know, you, you know, I kind of think he ran okay. Last time, there was a ton of speed. Um, he outfought all the speed, shook away turning for home, and then lost to a late run from a horse that, you, you know, figured to make a late run in a race that was really crying for a closer. I think he ran very well to run second. You know, it's his fourth start for Pletcher. Um, I, I, I think he's got an easier time with the pace this time than he did last time. Um, and I think he's dangerous. So, I, I, you know, I'm on those three, but leaning towards um, Mr. Freeze. So, you know, the way I bet, if I did bet a pick five or a pick six or something, I'd use the three of them on one ticket and then I'd go back for another ticket with, you know, Mr. Freeze. So yep, I was similar. Yeah, that's, that's similar to the way that I play too. And it's smart because then if you're, you know, your, your strong opinions, right, you give yourself a, a ton of other bullets and the other races around. And if not, you know, you beat Mr. Freeze with one of the other prices, then you're just in, in great shape that way. So that's always a smart approach. I, I'm always playing multiple tickets. Um, even if it's just one small one that can kind of back up my strong opinions, because how many days are you, you're kind of right with a lot of your horses, you're scratching your head going like, how did I not hit this ticket? You know? And so sometimes it's always nice to give yourself like a, just a second 
second uh, second different uh, uh, opportunity to, to score as we move into the thirteenth race. What's interesting about this group is this has kind of been that group that beats each other up all the time. And, you know, you just kind of never know which of these four or five horses that are you know Zulu Alpha Channel Maker Sadler's Joy always in in some of these distance turf races, and it always feels like whichever one of them gets the better trip is going to win. And then Zulu Alpha. Just put forth a monster effort uh, Winning the Pegasus World Cup turf And that was coming off a a pretty good effort In the Breeders' Cup a couple months prior So I guess at at least from a a talking point You have to start in this race with Zulu Alpha Whether we're going to use or whether we're not going to use So what's your approach to to race number 13? Um, This is an easy one for me Um, I like a thread of blue wire to wire Yep Yeah there, there's just no other speed in here. And nobody right? that can run with him. Yeah, I just think he goes. I, I, I like Bravo. So I love Luis Saez, and I would probably rather have him on the horse because um, he's tough to get by. Um, whether he's got gas in the tank or not, he's just tough to get by. Yeah. Um, but Bravo is very, very good on this kind of horse. I think he'll put him right on the lead. Um, I think he'll be able to slow it down. I think the last race was a perfect setup race for this one. Horses three for four at Gulfstream, loves the track, I think can absolutely get this distance of ground. Um, and I think will be very tough, tough to reel in on a lead. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not inclined to, to get past it. I mean, yeah, Zulu Alpha was huge last time, um, but did get that perfect seam up the inside to run up. Um, was coming off a sneaky troubled trip in the Breeders' Cup. Um, a lot of people really liked him on Pegasus Day. Uh, I think he was also aided by a couple of horses getting in trouble. If you remember, um, Chad Brown's horse without parole got in a ton of trouble in that race. Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's hard to say that the outcome might have been different, but his trouble was so bad, I can say the outcome might have been different. And Sadler's Joy got sandwiched out of the gate and really. You know, just about eliminated. So uh, it felt like a lot of horses didn't show up too. Yeah, like they either had an issue or like they just didn't show up. And he was kind of the like he improved. He got I thought a, a pretty decent trip, whereas a lot of others they didn't run well and didn't get a good trip. And it's like when when that happens in a race, one horse can can dominate the race and maybe look a little bit better than they should be. I I, I agree with that for sure. Um, for sure. I mean, I, you know, taking nothing away from him, he ran a sure. huge race. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm with th- this is a ra- I'm with you. I think I got the thread of a thread of blue on top all over. You got the nice prep out of his out of the way last time too. So he's not a horse that he he shouldn't be short here. That that shouldn't be the problem. If he's not good enough to win, then that's one thing. But we should get a, a horse who's going to be fit in this race, who's going to be set up very well coming into this race, and who's going to have every opportunity on the front end in a race that just doesn't seem like. If anybody goes or if anyone's in front of him It's going to completely take them out of their game It wouldn't make sense to So I I always like to take a horse like this Who should have a couple length lead on the field The one thing I hope we don't get with this John is he can go And and maybe stretch this field out A little bit I don't want it to be like 51 where he's trying to keep The closers in the race I'd rather see this horse open up three you know, And try to outrun them I agree with that And I I usually Prefer that with a speed horse, um, mm-hmm. especially on the grass like this. And I kind of think that's what Bravo will do, just knowing mm-hmm. his style and knowing how he rides. I mean, he likes to 
go and give them their shot and you know if they can make it they make it and i i have a feeling he'll do that um but no i agree that's a little always a little bit of a concern you know you want to get some distance between you and the rest of them so they're a little tired when they got to run and catch it um so we'll see another another horse i look at is a horse that falls into the category of what you said and just not showing up last time and that's admission office i you know it's funny when he came back this year or when he ran last year in the shadowell mile um i was looking for a big race for him he didn't fire um in the river city uh, he just came from so far back and so late and was wide and i'm like i don't know he's got to win next time and in the fort lauderdale in december my guy he's got to win this race um, and he didn't. And again, he was so far outside and just I'm like, what are they doing with this horse? And, uh, you know, last time I thought he was really, really dangerous and really, really live at 22 to one, completely overlooked. And he just didn't show up. You know, um, I think this horse has a big race in him. Um, and I think he's sitting on it at some point. I, I don't know that we'll see it tomorrow, but I don't know that we won't. And I think when he does run that big race that I feel is in there somewhere and ready to come out, I think he can beat a field like this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's got a lot of upside. He just is it, – it, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm never one that just dismisses him. It really in like in any field that he shows up in because he's good enough to beat anyone. It's just like you said, he needs a right trip or maybe just the right field the way it's going to shape up. And this isn't you know, like with even with Zulu Alpha running a big race in Sadler's Door. Like we're not talking about this as a group of anyone that we would be scared of, right? And that's why we're like looking to a horse like a Thread of Blue who might be able to steal this race because I don't feel like there's any like. Absolute monster in this group to, to be terrified of so you can build A case for a horse like admission office In uh, in a race where you and I hope They're going to be winging it early with a thread of blue Absolutely Okay let's get to the fountain of youth I, I asked John for about uh, 20 minutes Or so we've already been going for like over 30 But that's what happens when we start talking racing We will go for a couple hours if nobody would stop us We've uh, done that before I We mean. have yeah we definitely have So uh, l- let's get to the fountain of youth The big one worth some of the derby points and I guess the story Of this race when they drew the field It was only looking like it was going to be You know like a field of Eight or so but three or four Horses uh, went into this Race were entered into this race last minute And what ended up happening is Chance it who is going to be One of the top contenders in this race Who was the winner of one of the local preps In the mucho macho man in, in that race actually came back really, really high As far as the numbers and the figures are concerned He earned a 99 buyer speed figure in winning that race He's parked on the extreme outside And you could tell that the connections were not quite happy with that and they, they, you know, they made a couple comments about uh, you, you know not wanting to waste a race And who knows, maybe they'll have to scratch They'll see what the, the day is, is, is like But that, that definitely adds a wrinkle to this race When there are probably two or three others now that were entered That don't have a shot to win this race But they have now impacted this race In, in how they park chance it I, I agree You got a couple of you know, you know cheaper horses That look like they don't belong um, One of them's Luch's horse I think That is, is, is actually a maiden It looks like he doesn't belong um, so yeah, I, I mean, they, they helped move that horse way to the outside and I, I heard he was going to scratch. I don't know that for sure. Yeah. I kind of heard the same thing. Yeah. That they were definitely, I, it, I haven't heard I that the horse is scratched, but they're definitely thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, obviously, you, you know, he's a contender. I, 
you know, I fear him, but I, I usually bet against horses like that because, mm-hmm. you know, he came off a layoff um, and had to run really hard. If you remember, he had to really dig in on the hard driving on the inside. Um, and he had a battle back. The, as seen as TV, like middle of the stretch, had the, like, had the lead. And right. so it was a battle, like a real exactly. battle. Exactly. You know what I mean? So usually... I'll, I'll shy away from a horse like that next time out, um, you know, because he had to work so hard. And now, uh, you know, between that and the post position. But when I actually handicap this race and, you know, look at it, that's why I don't follow any rules because they're always made to be broken. So normally I bet against a horse like that. But in this particular situation, I would have a hard time tossing him because the race to me is crying for somebody that could either sit or come from well off the pace. Um, and he's one of the few in here that I think can sit and are also good enough to win. There's a couple in here that can sit. I just don't think are good enough to win. Um, but he's one of the ones that, you know, checks all my boxes. So, you know, other than the post and that hard race last time out, I, I would have to leave him in as a contender only because, you know, he, he, he fits the profile of what I think this race is calling for, which is a horse that, you know, doesn't have to fight for the lead, can sit off him a little bit, make a move, and then, and then win. Um, but I do think the race does go through Dennis's moment. Um, I think if he runs back to that Iroquois, he's going to be awfully tough. Um, I and don't... That, that trip, too, right? The sitting. Yeah. And just like you mentioned, like exactly. he has some speed, but he does have the ability to sit. He's just been a horse that's kind of been his own worst enemy with the the breaking and the starts. It's just it's amazing when you see a horse like this, right? Who's had four starts, two of them have just been incredible, and then the other two, you know, he had a stumble where he clipped heels and he lost the jock, and then a bad stumble where he finished last from the rail and was never in the race. So it's just like Jekyll Hyde. Which, which Dennis are you going to get to show up when he shows up? He has as much ability, I think, as any of the horses that are on on the Triple Crown Trail this year. Um, I I tend to agree. You know, I don't know if he's as good as Dale Roman says he is. I mean, he's really <laughs> yeah, he's very high on him. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that he's that good. Um, I, I don't know that he's not yet because, like you said, the two races he didn't run exceptional in, he's got legitimate excuses. But I do have questions about him, and I'll share with you what they are. Um, Apparently, he's all that, right? But yet, Dale Romans was at Saratoga at the end of July. This was me and Ed Ellis. I have to say why. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that, that's, that's a red flag to me. Um, everybody wants to win and break a maiden at Saratoga, especially with a horse that's that good and you're already thinking Kentucky Derby with. Why do they view at Ellis Park? Makes no sense to me. Um, yeah. Uh, that's that. That's one issue. The other uh, other thing I, I will tell you about this horse is that I was at the Breeders' Cup, and the break wasn't his only problem in that race. He might have been able to run okay. There were two horses on on Breeders' Cup weekend that stuck out to me as horses who absolutely did not handle the racetrack, and to the point where I could see from the stands that they were slipping and sliding and floundering all over it. One of them was Code of Honor in the Classic. After 70 yards out of the gate, I was like, he's done. We're all lying to him. He just, he just not liking that racetrack at all. Sliding and floundering all over the place. The other was Dennis's moment. Dennis's moment broke bad, but got close enough to the pack to kind of you know hang with them, but was floundering, was just all over that racetrack. Just couldn't handle it, floundering, just... 
you know, not liking it to the point where it was very, very obvious. If you watch the replay, you'll see it. Um, you know, so not only did he not break well, but he just didn't like that racetrack at all. So it's a legitimate line through the race altogether. Um, and he does, in my opinion, get a, a, a perfect setup here um, to show his best. I think Candy Tycoon from the rail has to go. Um, I think that as seen on TV with Paco, who's aggressive, is going to be, you know, very close to the pace. I think that Liam's lucky charm is going to yep, be right yep. on the pace. Shotsky is going to be going. Ed Indian is going to be going. Chance it, you know, if he's in the race, is going to be, you know, really, really close. So you got, you know, half the field is speed or pressers, you know. So I think they got to go early. And that's going to set up for a horse like Dennis's moment. Or maybe a sneaky horse that can come from way back if the race totally collapses. And... You know, you don't often get a price on Chad Brown, and I think you should get one on Country Grammar because he's got to improve by about 10 lengths or maybe 15 lengths to win this race. I mean, he's coming out of a race at Aqueduct where they went 51 to the half, 116 for three quarters. I mean, that's going to, I mean, he's going to be far back, no question about it, you know, probably last early. But in a race with this much speed and a late, Fall from Chad Brown running in this spot, which is an aggressive move for him. Um, if the race completely falls apart with all that speed, why can't he come running late at 15, 20 to he's, one? He's make- my play in here, John. He's my play. Right. He and then you see it. You he's know what my I mean? play. I got him on top of the, of the logicals. So I'm, right. I'm going to have him with the, uh, the, the five, the 12, and then the one who I think could maybe hang around after showing some speed inside. I think he's got a little bit of ability, but I agree with you just from the way that the, well, the way that I'm seeing this race unfold, it's uh, it's Dennis's moment, getting a trip. It's maybe chance it being able to work a trip where he's not too parked or too far, uh, like losing too much ground, but then it's country grammar who it has some upside. Yes, you're right. He does need to improve. He does need to take a step forward, but if I'm kind of looking at the, the mucho macho man race and going, you know, maybe that figure was a little bit big. You know, maybe it was just a little higher than it should have been. If those horses come back a bit to wait their figures in the low nineties and country grammar takes a step up to right around there, he could hit this race right in between the eyes and he could really trip out in here and you get hobby to jump board for Chad Brown. I kind of like these Chad Brown horses that nobody's talking about too, right? The under the radar ones that you feel like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll always do with Chad. And let me tell you, Chad doesn't run his horses where they can't win. No. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he's he knows. Not- it's like Baffert. They know they have enough horses and they have enough good horses to where if they enter a horse in the race, they've got a shot because they have the best, like they are the best measuring stick of any barns because they've got so many horses at so many different levels. They know what it takes to win at each level. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I'm going to use the horse based on everything that, you know, we discussed knowing that, you know, hey, he may be, you know, best he can get is within 10 lengths at the front, you know, but that that's okay. Um, I, I, I take a shot that the race could set up for a horse like him to jump up. You know, he's a late foal. Um, he, you know, why not? You know, it's just that, that kind of race to me. Um, yeah. If you're getting, if you're, if you're going to be looking outside of, you know, we, we mentioned obviously that we both we're not against Dennis's moment, we're not against chance it. They're they're very logical. But if you're, you know, from a gambling standpoint, looking outside of those, 
the way this race shapes up on paper, all the next tier of contenders are really speedy. Right, right. And, and so you know you're looking at like the next Like the Candy Tycoon and the As Seen on TV and the Liam's Lucky Charm and the Ette Indian and the Shotsky and you're thinking wow they Might all be kind of in that Pressing like want to be Forwardly placed and then you kind of just start Eliminate like you start eliminating them and you look To okay uh, Maccabim's probably Over his head a little bit same thing with Master Day The Falcon might be in tough and you kind of Like circle back to country Grammar and go this horse hasn't really Done a whole lot wrong yet you know, there's a lot of upside here. A lot of, a lot of upside, you know, a, a, absolutely. And sooner or later, you know, one, one of these days, Chad Brown is going to win a race on the dirt with a horse like this. And all those people that say, oh, he never wins on the dirt are going to be standing there with their mouths hanging open because, yep. you know, he's an excellent trainer regardless of what surface they're running on. Um, so, you know, if he's got enough confidence to put this horse in the spot, I got to think the horse has a shot. And the other thing I like is the horse is at Payson Park, um, which is an excellent track to train over. Um, you know, his, one of his main owners, Peter Brandt, owns Payson Park now. So this horse is over there with the Payson string that he has. And uh, he's working very, very well over there. I mean, those are really nice Payson Park breezes. Those steady 49 breezes are really nice at Payson. Um you know, I, I he's a live long shot. I mean, he should be every bit of 15, 20, 25 to one in that field. You know, I mean, even with Chad Brown training, um, he should be a really big price. And uh, he's going to be on my tickets for sure. The pick six king, John Stetton. John, uh, this was a blast. It was, uh, it, it's too long. It's been too long since we, we, we had a conversation uh, for a while about the races. So I would love to, uh, to pencil you in to come back in in a month and talk about the Florida Derby and the Florida Derby card uh, undercard, and we can do something very similar uh, for Florida Derby. Be my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Let, let the folks out there know where can we find you on social media and 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 the info for Pass the Wire. It's passthewire.com. It's um, our website, and it, you know, started as my website, but now it's really um, just a. a, a, a very diversified horse racing website with you know columns of of opinion and you know all the racing news as well um i've got a tracking trip section up there which is it is a subscription you know pay section but it's very inexpensive it's like twenty dollars a month or something like that and it's worth it i'll tell you right now it's absolutely worth it i put horses on there that have had troubled trips or ran with or against a bias you know ran better than it looked worse than it looked stuff like that you know all kinds of trip notes you know it's not a selection service you're not going to be buying picks it's just you know second set of eyes um trained eyes like I, i like to call it um and uh, on social media, it's at Jonathan Stetton, Pick Six King, and at Pass the Wire. Um, you know, we have a separate separate Twitter for that, um, and it's on Facebook, Instagram, Pass the Wire. We're we're, we're all over. You know, it, it's funny. I never dreamed this would happen, but for, for the last couple of months, we've been second in traffic in the horse racing industry on our website, only to Blood Horse, which I think is amazing. We've been, you know, we've had more traffic than anyone else out there. Um, except for Blood Horse, it's just good. Con- it's the content. It's great content, and I I've worked with you in many different capacities now. Uh, elite doing some stuff with Past the Wire. You the the thing about you you empower good smart people to to have their approach. You don't try to micromanage anyone. You just kind of let people cover um, what angle, what side they want, and then it makes it just makes for 
for people that are happy to write They're happy to to work with you And um, I love checking in there because like I said it just Sometimes we get news Or if we're following certain People in racing Everything comes out either all positive Or all negative And I, I want a place that will kind of give me Both sides of the apple right Because there's never anything that's all positive There's never anything that's all negative I want someone that's critical when they need to be critical And that will uh that will be, you know, uh, praising when, when praise need be And, and I, that's why I just love um, reading in I'm checking in on Pass the Wire all the time And I'm glad that things continue to improve over there And, and people are, are taking notice Appreciate, appreciate that Now, I'll, I'll leave you with this I know, you, you know, you're not supposed to talk politics um, So I, I'm not going to do that But I'll just say this I was having a conversation with somebody the other day About, you know, the political climate in, in America right now What I said to them was this I said, listen I don't care if you're a left or right or Democrat or Republican. If you're always all left extreme or you're always all right extreme, that should be your first clue that something's wrong. Yep. And you're, you're thinking like a robot because both sides, uh, even if it's only occasionally, everybody has a good idea now and then. There is that broken clock theory. You know, 100%. everybody's right twice a day, you know, 100 um, percent. You can't always be all this way or all that way and tell me you're thinking for yourself. Because it feels like BS when right, someone's exactly. doing that. Exactly. Because it's like they're picking and they're finding things to to focus in on instead of just reacting and responding exactly. to what's exactly. happening. And, you know, and, and, and tying into that what you said, you know, we you know, you know, we I, I try and keep it real. You know, we say our site is horse racing uncensored. If something needs to be said, I'm not gonna be scared to say it. Um, you know, a lot of people call you, you know, meet around and say, why isn't saying anybody saying anything about the, you know, some things you can't just, you know, when you're, you know, quote a, a media outlet, you can't just say things that you can't back up. That's you know what I mean? So, true. you know, it's not that I'm afraid to say something, but if I don't know it for a fact, gotta be able to prove it or it, I can't just say it. You know what I mean? Um, I could say, I think this is going on or I suspect this might be going on, but I can't say, you know, so-and-so's cheating because I can't prove that. You know, um, but if I could, you could rest assured, I would not be scared to say it at all. So we try and keep it real. We give a, you know, positive and negative approach to whatever the situation calls for. I so. think cri- critical is the better word, right? It's just like yeah. critiquing things. And it's it's OK to be critical about a sport that, man, you and I have, you know, and, and particularly you who have been doing it your whole life and um, have, you know, put Hundreds of thousands of dollars into and, and taken back right like you've been a major Customer of this sport for so Long you're allowed to to have an opinion To voice your opinion whether it be right Whether it be wrong you know you've, you've earned That by now so um, we, I've, just, you know, I've bet horses I've owned Horses I've bred horses um, I've been a jockey agent I've worked at racetracks I mean I've been in, in the game my whole life I've seen A lot and I'll be the first to admit our, our Game has a lot of issues that need To be resolved um, And I have very little optimism That we'll do it when you show me that we Could stagger the post times on the big days Then I'll believe that maybe we can Work together and get some of these issues resolved If we can't stagger post times how Are we going to do anything and that's easy I've In the last couple months people would Post on social media they, they would do it Themselves they would right. post a little chart Where it's like hey look all you have to do is Do this I've worked at TVG before I've We've been I've been in the control room In the production room when they just call over to Racetracks sometimes too and they can ask hey and, and some racetracks are really good about it But others are just they'll say no F you you know and they you'll ask Them hey if you can just hold your race For like a minute or two we're going to run another race live And then your race will get m- Some more coverage leading up Which is going to mean more money 
into your pools and they don't care. Right, <laughs> you know? right. It's inexplicable to me. I just don't get it. No, you know, I don't get it. And, and we'll, we'll, when we bring you back to that, that'll be a one conversation that we have one time where we just kind of come back and we just talk about positives, negatives, and maybe things to fix it. I had a conversation like that with Andrew Champagne a while ago, and I love talking about uh, talking with people who have been in racing for a while because it, these, some of these things that we want to tweak, it's not rocket science, science, John. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't, it's not going to take a ton of things. It's just like a logical, common sense thing. That's where we get frustrated. I agree. And if we, if we can't do the basics right, how are we going to do anything else? Well, one thing that you and I are going to do, we're going to win some money this weekend, John. We're going to do that for sure. I really appreciate it, man. It was a blast. And I look forward to uh, catching up with you again before Florida Derby. We'll do the same thing again. Thank you for having me, Gino. Appreciate it. That is the pick six king, John Stetton. We're going to go through a recap of uh, some of the, uh, the picks one more time. A big thank you to John, the pick six king there for uh, the Gulfstream Park Analysis, as you you can hear, John does a really great job, and he does his homework. And I always love talking racing with John. I'm going to rattle through some uh, opinions that I had at Gulfstream that we didn't get to tackle or touch earlier on in the card. So, just some horses to keep in mind as you're playing the Gulfstream card on Saturday. Let's go to race number three in here. Uh, I thought the three our nation or excuse me, the number six. Our nation on parade, extremely impressive in his win over at Laurel. Now he comes into the Ritvo Barn, and that October 19th race, there were three next out winners. Third place finisher won the next two races in a row, won a first level allowance, then $100,000 made uh, Maryland bread stakes. The fourth place finisher won a first level allowance next out. The eighth place finisher won a small stakes next out and has won two of the last three. And he showed good speed. He was right on the lead. He settled back. He was in third. He was inside. He was a couple off. He moved through in the two path and he he angled around. It was a a really nice W and he opened up. I think this one can continue to step forward. Let's put the number six, our nation on parade on top. We'll make a win wager if we can get five to two in race number four. The Palm Beach. I thought the two B catcher coming into this race very nicely. I expect him to continue to progress. I think he's a long shot. That makes some sense in here. I will include with the 10, Famished, and the 12, Vitology, who are just very logical contenders and make a ton of sense in there. So we'll put B catcher, the two on top, probably a win wager we'll use in some of the exotics with the 10 and with the 12. Let's skip to race number eight. This is the next race that I have a, an opinion on. And there are two horses that I want to include in whatever exotics that you're playing. The number four, Awaken, will be my top selection. He adds the blinks after just a brutal start where he really showed some ability late. I played him last time out, and I've been waiting for him to, to return to the races. I, and any little progression in here, he will be really, really tough. I, I actually think he's he's a little better than the horse who was in front of him, Mr. Candy Ride, who also came from way out of it and who also broke slowly that day. But I, I think there's a little more upside with the number four, Awakened. So let's use Awakened. We'll use the number seven, Speedy Mac, who in his second step, he got steadied. He got shuffled back a little bit for a barn who is much better with horses making their second and third starts. So let's use the four and the seven in all of the exotics in race number eight. Let's move to the ninth race. Um, We're going to go to the number six in a hurry who last out tracked behind horses in a tightly bunched up group, but it was always within a few lengths. He was loaded at the top of the lane. She was loaded at the top of the lane. Uh, she got an opening three wide and in between horses, and it was a really nice, well-measured win. She continues to progress for Suge. Uh, I think in a hurry is a must-use in all exotics. We'll use the number two, Veruca, and the number three, Declaration Warrior in, uh, in your exotics too. It's funny because I've had the... No, something I saw on Twitter, I had the Charlie Brown song stuck in my head 
I never thought my life would... Or Charlie Brown. Willy Wonka. The Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory. Say Charlie Brown? I might have. It's early, it's early and I've been up all night, folks. But I, I've had the old... Uh, maybe this is the hunch play. Because I've had the... I never thought my life would be anything but catastrophe. And maybe maybe it was trying to point me to the other song from, from Willy Wonka... I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket, it's my bar of chocolate, give it to me now. little Veruca, salt, let's use Veruca in the exotics, we'll put the six on top of the two, on top of the three, in race number nine. The tenth race, you know, the, the logical horses in here, Spice is nice, and Tonalist Shape, I'm not, I won't really talk you off of them, but I'll try to talk you on to Byerness a little bit, who I just, I prefer of the three of them in here, and I think you'll get the best value with Byerness, she, she had a good start in her last effort, which was stretching out at Churchill Downs, she was right on the lead, and then she sits a close-up third, she's three deep, she's tracking back, she's a couple lengths off, she starts to move up without really being asked, but then she's quickly... Looking like she's all in I thought she was done She's not traveling as well as the two in front of her Mid-stretch And then she, you know, she's a few lengths back And all of a sudden she just hits this second gear She really starts to respond to urging She gets up late for a determined win Byerness I'm going to make my top selection there And I'll make a win wager on the number 7 in race number 10 In the 11th race uh, Horses to include in here um, uh, The 2 for me Caribou Club The 4 Hembry and the 12 Flying Scotsman Who you heard uh, us talk a little bit about With John, I thought Caribou Club And, and Hembry should both come out of that Tampa race and, and run a lot better In, in this spot in, in race number 12 The Gulfstream Park Mile I think Mr. Freeze is a horse that you can't Try to beat, I think you'll use him In all exotics, and I'll use the 7 True Timber Along with him, who adds the blinks He got bumped around going into the first turn He got shuffled back, he lost a few lengths And the spot he wanted, and he just never recovered in the Pegasus If you're putting a line through the Pegasus And you're just looking at his three races prior to that He's a major, major contender in here Don't forget about the number 7 True Timber to use in your exotics In the 13th race A threat of blue looks like the lone speed to me I think he's got a big shot to steal the race The other logicals in here you know, Sadler's Joy, Zulu Alpha, Admission Office Would be others I, I would use if you want to go a little deeper and then in the 14th, you know, in the Fountain of Youth, I'm going to put Country Grammar on top. I think he has the opportunity to take a little step forward, get a really nice trip in here. A candy Tycoon continues to progress from the rail with his speed. Defeated his stablemate last time out, who was your favorite stablemate. The five Dennis's moment. He's going to be the logical one to beat in here And then the 11 and 12 would be the other two I use in some of the exotics Ette Indian who held pretty well after flashing speed And then Chance It who you know, If he doesn't get parked too wide He kind of he has the opportunity to sit off And maybe work out a nice trip So we'll see uh, in that 14th race But we'll put the 4 uh, We'll put the number 7 excuse me God I'm all over the place The number 7 Country Grammar Our top selection So Best of luck at Gulfstream Park. Hope we help you make a little money and uh, make sure to go follow John and Dan online. They do a great job handicapping the races. Let's shift over from Gulfstream to Sam Houston. And we're going to talk Sam Houston Friday. Remember, there's a pick five carryover. You're welcome at Sam Houston for Friday. And that pick five carryover, it, there was 17,000 carried over. It was a pool of 25 grand. That would have been freaking mine. Um, Let's go to race number two 
here. The five is going to be really, really tough. So I think that's, to me, just a single uh, with evil ways, a, a really chalky single to start. In the third race, I like the four zip it up my sister. There really isn't that much speed in here. Uh For this type of a race going five furlongs She broke well but so did three others And she ended up too deep She gets shuffled back a little bit in between horses I'm expecting a different kind of trip For Zip It Up My Sister Let's use the four We'll we'll put the four on top of the eleven On top of the twelve The one And and then the nine Is how uh, I'm going to approach that third race there And we can use them all in the pick four The early pick four Because we're going to single in race number two And then in race number four one, two, three, six. The one A Pompeiano is my top selection. I think if you put a line through his grass race and just key off the two back race at Ratama, anything close to some of the the better dirt races that he had would fit really really well in here. The two American League is going to be tough. Dropping in class for Broberg. Uh, the six Towering Oak gets the services of Parker jumping aboard. So let's go one A two six three. That's the uh, the order that I have in race number four. And then the fifth race. Good luck in here. I'm going to go very deep. In this one, uh, the four Marcy's Gray Girl is where I start. She sat third on the inside. She was a couple lengths off. She angled around three deep. She kind of got pinned in for a bit. She was second best. The number six, unapologetically, who had to work out a trip behind horses from the rail. Now going to go second start since May. I think takes a nice step forward in here. The number 12 will include in all of our exotics. Vela Zig comes in from fairgrounds. The one catch, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the... with the entry of the one magical ice and the one eight magical force, uh, the five, my fair maid, you want to go a little deeper, the 10. So you're, you can see this is a race where I'm going to spread out a little bit. So the early pick four will be something like this single the five in race two with one, four, nine, 11, 12, with one, two, three, six, with one, four, five, six, 10, 12. That's the early pick five, or the early pick four, which is races two, three, four, five. And in those races, uh, the number four, zip it up, my sister in race three. That would be one of the horses I would I would maybe pet a few bucks to win on. Pick five carryover, which starts in race number six. Another race where I'm I'm going to be spreading out a little bit. So let's start with the four bow T. We're going to have on top toss the uh, the races off the grass. Just key in off the term form for bow T. The number eleven priest and the rabbi. Third off the bench, coming in off of a, a sneaky good fourth last time out in a productive race that has already produced a next out winner. The number 12, Humor, makes a ton of sense. The only, the only issue I have with Humor is we haven't seen since July, so maybe he needs a race for his best. Uh, the 10, Samishin, who I liked last time out. He didn't have the best of trip, and he's getting a little class relief in here. Uh, the 1, Yowzer, you want to go a little deeper. And then the 6, Mujab Jr. So, I mean, I could make cases for all of them in the first leg of the pick 5 sequence. I think you can shorten up in race number 7 a little bit. I like the 11, Detroit 66, who's going to go third off the bench. Second time with this rider jumping aboard who has figured him out. He broke slowly last time out. He was 3 deep. He was in between. He was 6 off. He was 6th. He moved up to the 2 path. He was 3rd. He was only within He was within a couple lengths, and he was a little bit flat late. It wasn't a bad effort. Now you're going to go third start off the very long layoff the 11 Detroit 66 could be set for the absolute best let's go uh, the 11 1 Mucho Dinero if you want to go a little deeper the 9 I can build a a case for and and make um, make some arguments for their uh, their chances to win in race number 8 let's go 3 2 
four with Max Pound. Dowdy, who was close up, who was three deep in between, he had to take back a little bit out of a tight spot. He angled around, and it was an okay fourth, and that kind of an effort is good enough to beat a group like this. I think a wild card is the two who debuted in a stakes race up at Century Mile that has produced a couple next-out winners in this barn has been uh, only sending out live runners at the meet. And then Chakota with the speed, the one to catch in here on the drop. That's the one to catch in. Beat three, two, four. We'll use those three in our exotics. In race number nine, uh, we'll go with the seven to kick uh, to start What Power, who is a good third coming off the bench. I liked What Power a lot last time out. Just a repeat of that effort would make him very, very tough. Blue Harbor, super logical, top contender in here. The number three, Papa Rizzo with big speed. If anyone has the opportunity to steal this race, it might be the three. And then the four, Patriotic, who was a good runner-up last we saw. That was back in September, and that was a race where he's, he's gone to the bench for a while, and he was off for a couple months prior to that. So I don't love that, but uh, he still fits really well in here. Seven, eight, three. Four. In race number 10, to close things out, we'll use the 7, Laura's Central Bank, on top with the speed, second off the bench. Should be really tough to run down on the slight drop. The 12, Funky Justice. I think he has a lo- she has a little more speed than she was able to show last time out, but she should sit a nice trip from the outside. The 2, Hong Kong Helen. Started to get into it late This is a good spot for her uh, She should have every opportunity to run them down I just I hope she can get away from the gate Because she's she's had some issues starting And at 5.5 furlongs That puts her behind the 8 ball And then Anna's lingerie The number 6 in here Who uh, has the speed with the race under the belt So 7-12-2-6 We'll play a late pick 5 Something like this 1-4-6-10-11-12 With 1-11 with two three four, with seven eight, with two seven twelve, and you know, in a pick four sequence, it could be something like this where you use just like all the horses that I have. Uh, in the seventh race, it would be something like one nine eleven with two three four, with three four seven eight, with two six seven twelve. That basically includes all the horses that we have in the last few races. It's not the best way to approach a pick four sequence, but you know, you probably want to try to beat a favorite or two. But that just kind of gives you the full coverage, and then. Um, where repeat the horses to use throughout the day. The third race, the number four, Zip It Up My Sister. The sixth race, the number four, Bo T. Seventh race, the number 11, Detroit 66. And the ninth race, the number seven, What Power. Let's get you over to Sam Houston for Saturday. And we'll play some Saturday night. Sammy Houston, get your past performances out for February the 29th. Okay, Saturday, February. 29th. Let's start in race number two. A lot of times I don't start in the first if there's uh, Arabian races there. I just kind of skip it and play the the early pick four that starts in race two. So I like the three a little bit in here. The two I'm a barn cat just raced the other day. I would be shocked if she comes back and, and races again. So I'm assuming the two is going to be out of this race. Even even if she's not, I mean, if she's not, if she's in the race, she obviously figures, but it, she can't be in the race. So it's going to be three, six, one for me. It looks like the one and the six are going to to flash speed. I think the six is the better of the speed. I like the fact that she's drawn to the outside, but the three should get a really great trip. Going to go third off the uh, off the bench. 
the fifth finisher from the last was a next out winner against the five time restricted claimers. And she had a good start last out. She sat outside. She got hooked three deep in a small field. She was four deep and in between to the top of the stretch. It wasn't bad at all. The winner that day is a five time winner who just ran second in a $65,000 stakes. I think she's coming out of a better race and she should get a really good trip in here. Third off the bench, Will There's a Way going to be the top selection in race number two. We'll use in all of the exotics there. Let's move on to race number three. Um, I'm going to use the number seven in here on top. Moonshiner Boy, who February 8th was away a bit slow from the rail, ended up ninth inside, was behind horses, just third uh, three off, but had nowhere to go. Then got shuffled back, tried to angle around, had to wait for room, finally got a seam, split horses, and moved very well once he had an opening. Moonshiner Boy, I think he's set for a big performance here turning back. Let's put the five in the second spot. That's Nova Notion. Just any step forward wins this race. He was good. He showed speed, and he should have a little more bottom now. He broke really well inside of four others who went for the lead, so he had to deal with all the pressure from the inside, and he still battled on really well. The three Mr. George makes some sense. He had a good start. He was pushed a three wide, and he was in between, but he took back a little bit. He was asked, and then he started to respond. He made a bid. He was up to third within two lengths before fading. It was much better than it looks on paper. Seven, five, three in race number three. We'll move to the fourth race. You know, I think the the five and the two, I, I like the five as the horse to, to, to play, Pleasant Mo, who got absolutely crushed at the start last time out, and he's had brutal trips in, his la- in her last two. You're kind of playing her off of her career debut. And then Princess Helena, Princess Helena, who was really impressive, she's going to try the grass. The dam didn't have any grass success, no real grass success in the immediate sibs, but she sat a nice four. She was a couple off. She moved to the inside. She split horses. She loomed up. She took the lead prior to the top of the lane, but was immediately tackled by the 3 to 5 favorite and that 3 to 5 favorite was one who had already raced 5 times at Saratoga, at Keeneland, at Churchill, at Kentucky and at Fairgrounds and who had more experience. So that's not a bad effort from Princess Helena losing there. I have 5 2 and then the 13, the one for fun really ran well. He was bumped around at the start. It wasn't a great first quarter mile. He didn't she didn't really seem comfortable. She settled down, then she started to move well in between horses all the way up to four. She was within a couple lengths. She loomed up with dead aim, but she just couldn't go by. No excuses that day. And, and she has every right to improve a little bit. What's wrong with the ten snap it who's damn won twice on the grass? I think she can improve on the green. And the one dime quando the damn also won twice on the grass was a maiden special weight winner and a first level allowance winner. So as some prices do include that could uh, appreciate the move to the green, the 10 and the 1. Let's go 5, 2, 13, 10, 1, and we'll use, you know, combinations then in some of the exotics there in race 4. In the fifth race, the 1 Sarda Bling was so damn impressive. She had a brutal start. She was dead last. She was 10 off. She sat chilly. And then she moved up without really being asked. She's like weaving through traffic in between horses a few different times. It was just a monster effort. Cabrera leaves, well, no surprise, he goes to ride the Carl Broberg horse in the three, Miss Photo, and Miss Photo makes sense, and why I like her in here is she can sit a little bit, so I have the one on top of the three, on top of the nine, that is Blue um, Blue Darter, who is going to make the second start since May, should be more fit today, she has speed, she should be involved and hang around, so let's go one, three, nine there. In race number five So that early pick four A couple different approaches Something like 
uh, race two, one, three, six with five, seven with one, two, five, ten, thirteen with one, three. Then you could have another ticket that looks something like one, three, six with three, five, seven with two, five with one, three, nine. Let's move on to the late pick five. It starts in race number six. We're going to go with the five expensive lesson as our top selection. You know, she was outrun early. She was about 10 lengths off, but she really showed some late interest. She's never gone long on the dirt. And off that effort, it looks like it's going to, the six furlong closing race, it looks like it's going to set her up very well. She's worth using. Wade jumped the board and figured her out last time out. And she, I don't think she has to be as far back, stretching out a little bit to a mile. And the eight's the one to beat. Ellstown for Broberg. She should be really, really tough in here. So five and eight I'll use to start that late pick. Five, race seven, I feel like is a, and the five is one of those horses that I'll mention as a, as a play, the, uh, the five expansive lesson. The seven is a little bit more of a spread race. The 11 game day decision we'll put on talk. With the speed, the ability to get a little aggressive in here and maybe take the lead. I thought Seductive USA is the one to beat. What concerns me is that she just hasn't raced since August. The number four, Sheryl's Ready, coming in off of a good runner-up effort. The number two, Lethal Move, who was hooked wide into the turn, who was up for an okay fourth against much, much better. And then the three, Newport Beach, whose speed could... Have a say in this race if, if a horse like Game Day Decision can't sneak away from the outside there. So we'll use 11, 8, 4, 2, 3. That's the order we'll put them in the 7 in race number 8. I like the 1 front page. Just cross out that race at Oaklawn and play front page off of the December 15th race at Fairground. He's a big player in here. And with the way this race shapes up, if they go too quick early on, this is a horse who will benefit. If they don't go too quick early on, a horse like Dance Kingdom will be really, really tough to beat. So I'll use the nine in the second spot. I thought the five handsome traveler was three deep and he loomed up to battle. Um but Stupefy rebroke in that race, who was the the lone speed that day. Handsome Traveler ran well. And then the number two, Our City, if you want to go a little bit deeper. This is a horse who doesn't love to win races, but definitely uh, picks up pieces and, and picks up checks a lot of the time. 1952. Race number nine at Sam Houston. Let's go to the four. Cats, second silver. Going to go off the claim for Broberg here, coming out of a productive race where he sat really nicely. I think a similar type trip could beat this group. I'm a wild bling. Is going to be really, really tough. And then three, Taruka will also include Taruka, who's just been in excellent form as of late. Always shows up with a good effort. Four, seven, three. The three for us to use in race number nine at Sam Houston. We'll close out race number 10 with the number nine inclusively. You know, look at inclusively's races sprinting on the dirt. They're really not bad. You can, you know, put a line through the last effort that was on the grass. Then two back, you have a race that you can excuse that was in the mud. Look at the December 15th race. Look at the December 5th race. Repeats of either of those two, he's right in this group. He's right on the wire. Let's go with the nine inclusively on top. The number seven, Mighty Bugsy will include. The number five, Jazz Music. And then the number 11, Odie. Nine, seven, five, eleven. So a late pick five would look something like this. Starting in race number six, five, eight, with two, three, four, eight, eleven. With one nine, with three four seven, with five seven nine eleven. Another approach could be something like uh, you know five eight with two four eight eleven, with one two five nine, with four seven, with five seven 
nine. A couple different approaches there for you at Sam Houston. Best of luck this weekend. This was a horse racing heavy episode of That's What G Said. Next week, we'll uh, we'll talk a little more football. We'll talk a little more NBA basketball. We're going to start breaking down a couple different TV shows in Zoe's uh, Extraordinary Playlist and in Better Call Saul. So we'll be uh, expanding the horizons a little bit next week. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Joey, my friend, close us out.